Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got a massive card behind us at UFC 280. Didn't really necessarily live up to expectations, but there's nobody I'd rather be discussing it with than the one and only Bazooka Joe Valtellini, my uh, one-time co-host and still part-time co-host on the TSN MMA Show. I get even more excited now when I'm on, so I I miss you more, and I get to come on here and I get to talk. but not as excited as I was hoping to talk to you today about these fights. But uh, still all right. That's going to be my answer. It was all right. Not the greatest. Not the worst. I've seen better. I've seen worse. But um, I just think because of how stacked it was and we expected a little bit more. You know what I just noticed looking at the results? This, blew my, this blows my mind. TJ Dillashaw lasted longer than Charles Oliveira did in their fights. No, oh, there you Isn't go. Yeah. Wild? By it's what? Crazy. Like 30 seconds? Yeah, by like almost. 30 seconds. Yeah, almost 30 seconds. Yeah, it's strange yeah. to me because he had one yeah, arm. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get to that. Gross. Looked gross too. Didn't it pleasant? No, it certainly. It probably didn't feel pleasant. It didn't look pleasant. <laughs> it wasn't a pleasant fight. It wasn't a pleasant situation. There was nothing good about no. it at all. No, there, there you go. Say it as it is. Yeah. Uh, let's start off with the main event, shall we? Islam Makhachev or Makhachev defeats Charles Oliveira arm triangle choke in the second round. Now, Joe, you know I do picks every week. And I, yeah. uh, I took the path of least resistance here. I took fight ends in submission. That way either guy yeah. can win by submission. It was minus 130, and that came to fruition. Um, I figured at some point in time someone was going to be able to snatch something up, and it ended up being Islam Makhachev, who just fought another great fight. I mean, this guy is one of the best defensive fighters I think we've ever seen, and his offense is improving with each and every fight to boast. Yeah, when you were fight were you surprised more that how good islam was against Oliveira, or just more Oliveira wasn't really performing you know i think i was a little bit surprised that Oliveira wasn't pressuring as much as as he could have because i felt oh. like wherever the fight went whatever happened whatever makhachev you know gave him situationally he would have had answers and i felt that he was a little bit frozen but i also felt that the game plan of islam and his team was just phenomenal it, you know, it's funny. I spoke to Alexander Volkanovsky uh, last week, and he, of course, was the backup. And he explained why he thought Islam was going to win the fight. And he said, Islam's going to get takedowns, but they're not going to be takedowns that put him in, in the kind of positions that Oliveira thrives in. Take, take him yeah, down, yeah. hip, you know, th- arms around the hips, not shooting for doubles, you know, stuff that is going to put him in advantageous positions on the ground. And he was right. Yeah, I mean, I just thought Oliveira, I didn't really know what the game plan was. I thought was it which was okay i understand like if you know someone's a good threat on the ground sometimes pressure or evade he was kind of almost in that middle ground where he was pressured times but almost honestly not, not enough but then he wasn't evading to avoid takedowns then at one point getting like a clinch grip he's trying to initiate downs and then falling his back and i was just like it was a little too great sometimes just i think just too sharp too technical his basics too good like i just you have to be perfect and those ups that charles had released them at the end of the day yeah and it's it's a different you know a different type of fight stylistically like if you look at Oliveira's past opponents 
he had a lot more to fear on the feet with those opponents, but on the ground or in any sort of grappling positions, he was going to have the advantage. You look at Gaethje, Poirier, Chandler to an extent, uh, Tony Ferguson, he he got he had top control over him for much of the fight. Um, Kevin Lee might be probably the closest thing to Islam Makhachev that he's faced, and that was the I guess first card or the, the last card before the pandemic started in uh, in the empty arena in Brasilia. So, you know, it's been a while since he's had a more grappling focused opponent who's very good from top, like a Kevin Lee and Makhachev. I mean. I think is far more skilled than Kevin Lee. No disrespect yeah. to the, the Motown phenom. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, the question was, we know Islam's, I mean, very good, like you said, defensively sound on his feet, good left straights, uses his left kicks pretty good, mixes his strikes well, is the good entrancing for his takedowns, and his technical, I wouldn't say, you know, crazy, like, you know, like, Oliveira starts, to the flying scissor kick, like wild man. I mean, like those little moments. That's his move. Yeah. He does that to close the but distance. But I think that's a, a downside on this fight. I think a little bit more patience would have been a key for him. But again, wild man's going to be a wild man. But I felt like that would be his best path was by being a wild man, by throwing things at Islam where you'd have to make him react really quickly as opposed to giving him time. I felt that that's where he kind of went wrong, actually. I think it's the opposite. I think he kind of went wrong when he started to run out of ideas and not be as improvisational as he has been in the past but at the same time like i tweeted this after the fight that felt like a lopsided fight but also Oliveira landed more significant strikes against islam in that fight than any previous opponent of his had and also in a single round more significant strikes than any previous opponent had so he had you know i guess marginal success against him based on how others except for adriano martins who landed a knockdown or a knockout win over makhachev has done previously so I mean, Islam just, he looks like he's the real deal, and I don't know who's going to beat this guy, and I think the Volkanovsky matchup could be interesting, but I, I still think that Makhachev is going to be a massive favorite in that fight, even though Volkanovsky is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. Beat him, I think. In and out angles, but like, I don't know, his eyes difference, like. When I'm looking at Volkanovski at 155, let's be honest, he didn't look big. He doesn't look strong. He looks a little chubbier at that weight. He didn't look super lean. I think he's the size of a big difference once he goes up to 155. I mean, I guess we'll see, but the guy did used to play rugby for a living and against behemoths. So yeah. True. He used you know. to be, what, a heavyweight himself, yeah, too? Yeah, he probably he? Weighed, like a light weighed over two bills at one point. Yeah, well, that's before big show. You know, now you're talking about... Uh, fighting someone up in weight who's a specialist like Islam is just different. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one because we haven't really seen Volkanovski in too much trouble in his career, right? And now you've got a guy... Because, I mean, Oliveira, we've seen him lose. I mean, we've seen him in lots of trouble <laughs> throughout his career. Yeah. And, and he's been yeah. able to flip that trouble on his head and cause trouble for his opponents. Whereas Volkanovski is another guy doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Very, very slim margin of error. Um, very, very fast. And I think he's going to have a massive speed advantage in that fight. So I'm eager to see it, but I think he's got an uphill climb. Yeah. What about just an actual weight in the division? Next for him, if it's not Volkanovski, like I'd a say Dariush, Dariush who just fought? Yeah, I'd yeah. say probably Benil Dariush. Yeah, Benil I mean... Dariush looks like he's in quicksand. He's so slow, and he's <laughs> so like looks exhausted for the entire fight. And he's got yeah, the gray hair. The guy is so good. Like That's the thing about him. <laughs> he's so good at everything. When, when he brought yeah. down to the ground, he's slippery, he's quick, he's quick to get up, he's great at grappling. His, his striking is so, so powerful. 
and precise. Yeah. It's like he doesn't have the physical gifts, but he's got so much talent. It's like it's unbelievable. Yeah, and he's got the IQ, the heart, everything. He's just classy too. Like he just, uh, he just, no, I just, I've always liked his personality. The way he comes out there doesn't look like your big fighter, but he's just fantastic. All heart. I mean, he'll get, you'll rock him, and he just comes back even harder. So yeah, I would love to see him get it. To be honest, I think he he does a lot of noise with his mouth, and but his performances are speaking for itself. I wonder if it's easier to be a fighter of deep faith like him, like. If you go into a fight with the mentality, it's like, whatever happens is God's plan, and you kind of like let go. And I'm sure Mahashev is probably the same way. It's like, if, yeah. you just, if you just take all the pressure off yourself and say, whatever happens is God's plan, I feel like you can fight with a lot more freedom, both mentally and so. physically. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, you always need something to get you at peace, I guess. I mean, otherwise, it's like... Uh... When I first started my career, it was too negative. I, I, you need something. I don't know. You need to think bigger. So I used to think very negatively, like people would do bad things. I, I'd create fake scenarios in my head to get angry. So it's that wasn't healthy. And then, I mean, so I can see why a bigger, higher power can help you out. Yeah. I feel like Oliveira has the same kind of approach. He's also very deeply yeah. religious. So it's yeah. like it makes me wonder if you fight with like a certain freedom that other fighters that are doing what you just said like kind of manufacturing anger in their mind it's like you fight with if you fight with joy rather than fighting with anger yeah and i just love it though they they thank the higher power for beating up another soul that's nice i'm sure that higher power wants them to beat but, another person Joe, they also thank but, the okay, higher power when they get beaten up and that's what's important yeah. okay yeah as long as everybody's getting a little bit of love yeah exactly that's like a because even like, again, I'll bring it up quickly here with Deontay Wilder. It could have been fabricated, whatever. But after, remember, he kind of went on this whole speech after his last fight about respecting the person who's been knocked out. And I, I really appreciate that because it takes two to make the fight. But he kind of went out and just kind of like, you know, celebrated. But and the headaches and he brought up a young kid who was undefeated, who ended up having a bad brain injury. So Wilder brought light to that kind too and just respecting both sides but it's funny i'm not a person of uh, religious sides but uh, when i was younger in my early career i used to use it i used to use uh my christian side my catholic side to get out a lot of people who um i don't know we're, we're gonna go way off on a tangent here but a lot of people who do like alcoholics anonymous and, and rehabilitation programs are you know taught to kind of look to a higher power because it's strong yeah, like yeah. The, the faith is is strong in terms of how you can be disciplined and how you can make your decisions. It's, it's interesting. But uh, I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I don't really have a – if I was doing this for a career, which Lord knows that uh, that, that ship has sailed, um, <laughs> I probably you know, would, uh, would be more of the other variety where I'm like trying to make something up in my head about why I need to like go out there and yeah. perform. Oh, you go. You, you, got, you got kids. You got to support them. To me, like if I, my kids get to live a better life, if they win, his family better life. Why does his family get a better life over my kids? That's well, still that anger. would be my motivation. That's still approaching yeah. with anger. Yeah, but you gotta find it. You that would be your good side. Yeah, probably. But uh, I, I don't think we're ever gonna uh, get to get to sketch yeah. that one out. Uh, Unless someone hurt your dog, that can get you. Some a dog hurt my dog this past week. There was a dog. See, it pissed you a dog, I was walking my dog, and. Suddenly, from behind us, this huge German Shepherd with no no owner, no leash, nothing, no collar, just comes after my dog. My dog's fourteen. What'd you have to do? Front kicks, get chokes. Thank, you know what? Thankfully, there was another person walking their dog that was coming towards me, 
and uh, she knew the dog. I guess the dog lives on her street and was able to like yeah. hold the dog while I got out of there. Thankfully, my dog didn't get hurt. He's my, you know, like I said, my dog's scary. 14. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's scary. Yeah. The dog walkers, don't they bring like protection sometimes? There's like dog sprays and stuff you can buy to protect, but I mean, I don't know about yeah. that. My wife told me what you should do in these situations in the future. She explained. Apparently, if a dog ever comes after your dog or after you, you got to find a way to get its back legs and lift its back legs up because it doesn't know what to do. You can't get to you. Huh. You, you can Makes control sense. where it goes. It's like a lawnmower. And, yeah, and right. uh, you, can, you, can, like, you can control it and it gets confused and then kind of calms down. It knows the wheelbarrow. Yeah, like a wheelbarrow. The wheel. Yeah. yeah. That no, makes I sense. thought that was good good insight going forward. But you have to get behind the dog. Again. I guess packing your dog, the legs yeah. are there. You, I heard you did it on the nose. I don't know that. The dog I almost front kicked this dog, and my wife's like, well, you know, that's someone else's dog, and you wouldn't want someone front kicking your dog. And I was like, I'd want them to front kick me if I like made a situation <laughs> where I, my dog would escape my yard. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, well, well there we go. We got into dog walking and Jesus yeah. and, and God today. There we go. And now we can just go right back into the card. We got the co-main event. Aljamain Sterling defeats TJ Dillashaw. And Joe, you know, you know I like to go on a good rant. I got so. Yeah, no. You got one? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, the, yeah, we're loaded for this particular fight All right. because there is so much wrong with what went down for the co-main event. All right, where we started. But at the same time, I can kind of rationalize it. So let's 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 go to it. Of course, Aljamain Sterling defeats a one-armed TJ Dillashaw. 344 into the second round by TKO. Now, people are a lot of people are like, oh, well, he should never have been allowed to fight by the commission or blah, blah, blah. You filled out commission forms before, Joe. And yep. you, you've done medicals. Do they do x-rays? Like, do you have to submit x-rays? Uh, no. We have to do some pre-test stuff, but uh, it's usually eyes, ophthalmology, a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a heart wave or whatever. Uh, that's it. Not, not much. So blood who, test. Who would know going into a fight like that one that they were going in compromised with an injured shoulder, shoulder that might dislocate during the fight, in fact, likely would dislocate during the fight? Who would know that going into a fight, Joe? Well, I would just say only Dillashaw and his team. And that would be correct. And, and, and I think that, that it's pretty clear that that was the case because, as I mentioned yesterday on social media, the UFC could have gotten into some real hot water if that leaked out and the betting line went crazy. Now that betting is so much more streamlined, yeah. if a bunch that of money came in on off. Sterling, yeah. like, it would, they'd probably get investigated. So uh, TJ for and his sure. team must have kept this very close to the best. So good on them for that. But at the same time, like, this did everybody such a big, massive disservice because now everybody's going to look at Sterling and say, okay, well, he beat an injured fighter. Who cares? Like, it's... He's still not any good. If you, did, if you didn't think he beat Jan in the last fight, or you thought that he was getting beaten up by Jan in that first fight, oh, he's no good. People are still going to write him off and dismiss him. Not that he cares. He's still a talented fighter. He still gets paid. Dillashaw's legacy has already taken a beating because of his uh, EPO use. Yeah. Now it's even worse, because he went into this fight knowing he was compromised, got completely demolished, and it's like a terrible account of his skills. So it's bad for him gets paid though but it mm-hmm. also looks terrible on the commission because people are going to question whether or not they knew or could have stopped this from happening looks bad on the referee mark goddard who people say oh why why would he let him go into a fight with an injury looks yeah. bad on the but promotion he, he, apparently he was told just before they said right well, he told them exactly just it. before that's exactly yeah, but it. still so, so let's walk through the process here so and i think it looks bad on the promotion because they put on a, a lousy fight on their their biggest yeah. card of the year they, like co-main event yeah the, the rest of the card wasn't all that good and then you rely on the, your top three fights yon versus o'malley just put on an excellent show we'll get to that one in a little bit because i'm sure there's a lot of questions surrounding that mm-hmm. but 
you're expect you're expecting something good, and that whole fight was like there was not a moment where you would think like T.J. Dillashaw's in this thing. Like he was getting completely obliterated. Take a sip of coffee. Yeah, and get fired up here. So the only way that that fight doesn't happen is if Dillashaw and his team step up and say, "You have no chance of winning this fight. Your shoulder's injured, and if you go into this fight." You like, and you get taken down once. The fight's over, and you're facing yeah. a grappler. It was so very good. It was very. He's the champion. This is championship yeah. level MMA in in bantamweight, the arguably the toughest division in the entire UFC. If you look at top to bottom of the top fifteen, yeah. we just had the number twelve guy beat the number one guy, and we'll get to that in a second. But, um, you look at it, and the only way that that fight doesn't happen is if it, if a they. Disclose the interv- the uh, injury to the commission, but if the shoulder is not dislocated at the time, it's not really an injury, is it? Like, if you have a shoulder that gets blown out, and you're training, and it dislocates 20 times during training, but it keeps getting popped back in, it's still not an injury, right? Yeah, I guess it's fair. You're compromised, but it's not like a legitimate injury. So, if they don't disclose that on the forms, nobody knows what's going on with them. The open workout thing, I don't know why he didn't do it. It could have been because of the dislocation. It could have been because he wasn't feeling well. Or maybe somebody would have looked at his shoulder and said, that looks like it's, you know, a little bit rough. Who knows? Mark Goddard finds out right before the fight. Like, I think it was 20 or 30 minutes before the fight. I'm sure he went back there, talked to Dillashaw. And the reason why a fighter would tell a referee that is because, and you saw in the corner between rounds, Goddard says to Dillashaw, you told me backstage that your shoulder could dislocate. And the reason why a fighter says that is because they don't want the referee to get caught off guard by an injury, and they want to let him fight through it. Like, he wants to exactly. fight through that injury. Yeah. So, Mark Goddard, what's he going to do? Go, get Dana White back here. We can't let this man fight. Like, at that point in time, he's going out. Like, it's it's showtime. The people paid for the pay-per-view. And, and he you know, said could. The word could. 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 100%. Potentially, it right. could. So, he's like, probably three, four, nine. Right. You know? And. And how many athletes enter fights with lingering injuries anyways, right? Like, Every, most, yeah. Most of them. So at that stage, there's nothing Mark Goddard can do. There's nothing the commission can do. you got to let the guy go out there. So the thing that I don't like about it is we got a completely non-competitive fight in one of the most stacked divisions in the sport. Yeah. Somebody else could have been in there, whether it's a Corey Sandhagen, whether it's a Piotr Jan trilogy, whether it's Sean O'Malley. Both of those guys made weight that week, could have subbed in no problem. But because T.J. Dillashaw is such a competitive animal, like, I mean, if you think about fighters in the UFC and you think of the most competitive people, that winning is so important to them that they're willing to sacrifice anything to get it, Dillashaw's, like, near the top of that list. Yeah. That's what everybody keeps saying. Yeah. So there could have been a conversation where they said, listen, T.J., you can't take this fight. Like, his team could be like, you can't, you're not going to win. And T.J., you don't think I'm going to win? Yeah, I, like, yeah. I'm, I'm a champion, and, and if I pull out, I'm 36, I'm turning 37 in February. Nobody this age has ever won a championship in this division. Like, this is my last chance. i got to do this. I, like, yeah. I could land the kick. I could land the punch. I'm TJ Dillashaw. I'm a former champion. I'm one of the best bantamweights ever. Yeah. You know that mindset because you, you are of that mindset. In terms of comp- competitive of people course, I've met, yeah. Joe Valtellini is yeah. at the top of that list in terms of people that oh, I've yeah. grown acquaint- acquainted with. So the problem is, like, Ego can take over. And, like, he needed to let go of his ego and say, like, listen, I'm not going to give the best account to myself. I'm going to look terrible if I take this fight. And he did. Yeah. But my thing is now with him, one, it's, 
you got to think out of the last what three four years he's fought once. He's got kids. He well, needs payday. Right. He needs, he needs to get paid uh, and get paper. And points. that's surgery again. You you that the ligaments at that point are probably so torn and stretched for it to be popping out like that. It probably requires another surgery. Right. Which he doesn't have time. Which takes a year. Which then takes a year recovery. At this point, he's 38, 39, yeah. and he's done. And, so yeah. I think it was a payday, and he had to get it done because it's surgery. And there's, I think, in his time off, he had what two surgeries, I believe, right during that time off that. He was doing so. I mean, at this point now, with age, payday, need something done, another surgery, it was kind of either all in or I'm yeah. done. And you weigh the pros and cons, and I'm sure that he's not weighing one of the cons as like, I'm going to upset the MMA community. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he cares. Yeah. He's already he's well, already acknowledged that he did EPO. Like the, the MMA community is not going <laughs> to jump on his side no, no yeah. matter what he does. He can save three puppies from a burning building. How ridiculous was that narrative all week, by the way? About him finally saying, yeah, you know, he was getting praised by Dana and everyone for confessing that, you know, just owning up to it, manning up. I was like, okay, that's cool. You manned up to it, but you still cheated. You still yeah. did what you did. You know, okay, cool. Yes, he manned up to it, but to be praised it. for it and but being praised the amount he was, it's like kind of like, ah, come on. Well, I so get it. There is some, at least you manned up to it, I understand, but he was just overly praised for it, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of that was just kind of promotion, but like, at the same time, like I think that TJ Dillashaw like can can still look himself in the mirror and say like I did something really like I did something wrong I got caught and I and I caught, up. and I yeah. fessed up to it and I think if, if it's a lesson that he can teach to his kid, you know, in the future that like listen this is what I did and I owned up to it and I made a mistake and that's good that's a good teachable moment, but like yeah I don't I mean he's still listen still took EPO became a champion I, I don't think anybody's ever gonna forget that when they look back at his legacy. Yeah, yeah, but I still think he was one of the greatest to do it. Still, oh, I just sure. think with the circumstances, injuries, he was fantastic. I mean, still like one of probably the greatest, one of the greatest overall from the way he would grapple, wrestle, strike, you know, mix things up. He's he should be uh, should be known as one of the best for sure. And I thought Dillashaw had all the advantages in that fight. If we're looking at like a healthy Dillashaw and we're going yeah. skill for skill, like yeah, what Aljamain if he's trying. So here's an interesting stat. Dillashaw was on his back in that first round for more time than in the entirety of his UFC career prior to that. Yeah. Because like, he couldn't move. He couldn't he post couldn't and frame off of one hand, you know? Yeah. Crazy. So, I mean, it, it just goes to show how talented this guy is. But at the same time, like, still, he messed up, right? Like, not much more yeah. you can say about that. Um, so, why don't we get to Sean O'Malley defeating Piotr Jan by split decision. So... This is, of course, another situation where everybody thinks this is a total robbery. And like, yes, I had to rewatch it today, by the okay. way. Okay, so tell me what yeah. you what you think then. I'll, I'll give you the. Point. I saw your score pop, but you had it rounds to zero for Jan. You had it twenty eighteen going into the third. I thought personally, O'Malley took the first. I when think you were watching he was it live. A, was watching live, and when I watched it, I gave O'Malley gave him one i thought he was still landing the better shot he was still sniped into it the bigger shots were from backwards i don't think yon sounds did anything there was no work rate they were kind of holding i'm personally torn i think down to me i know a lot of people are first to me it's almost that round. i thought that third round o'malley split with two big punches 
knocked O'Malley. I just think those two big rock punches probably did that more. Was the, that was the second, though, I thought. Wasn't that the second? I think second? it was the third. No, the third he got okay. cut. So I, I, I was honestly, when I watched it, I was like, Jan won. I still think Jan would have won. I still rewatching it barely, but I would. I don't see it as a robbery at all. I can see one and three going to O'Malley, but I personally think that third round sledged to Jan, to be honest. So I've got a confession to make here. I watched that first round, and I and at the end of the round, I looked at I looked at the screen, and I thought O'Malley might have won that round. But if I write ten nine O'Malley after Jan just controlled the last two and a half minutes, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get obliterated on social media. Right, did like, nothing with it. Yeah, I get usually it. Usually, yeah. I don't care that much, but I was thinking like maybe Jan did win the round. Like, yeah, you start telling yourself, talking to yourself. I, I was thinking maybe, you know, maybe what Jan did, he pulled away a little bit at the end. I was really on the fence, and I wrote really close round on Twitter. I wrote ten nine Jan really close round, and people were like that wasn't a close round at all. And yeah, I was thinking, people thought it was Jan. Yeah, or... yeah, and I read that, and I was like, okay, well, maybe. And then I saw all the scorecards. Everybody had a pro Mali, and I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe it wasn't as close as I thought, or something. You know, like maybe I missed something. But I just remember thinking, well, O'Malley landed the biggest shot of the round by far in the first. He landed that straight right, I believe it was, right, you know, and, and kind of shook Jan a little bit. Yeah. But then Jan was able to land some good – he had a big slam, and that's something you take into account when you're talking about effective grappling. Yeah, damage, Big slam yeah. with damage. And then he had some decent ground and pounds. And I was thinking, okay, well, yeah, like I think that – I think Jan might have won the round. It was if a you really watch that ground round, and pound, rewatch that, like nothing, yeah, was, nothing landing. was landing. O'Malley blocking it, it using it. Landed, you know that. You know. So, is Jan ten nine for the first round a good scorecard? Perfectly fine scorecard. But so is O'Malley ten nine. I mean, that's what it comes yeah. down to. That's, and that's exactly it. And that's why it's not a robbery and not close to a robbery, in my opinion. And, and what did you take three? Do you remember what round three was for you? Do you remember that? At uh, all? Yeah, yeah. I had chance? I had ten nine O'Malley. Pretty O'Malley yeah, on the I last. Had a pretty decent margin in the third, and I had Jan round two was pretty straightforward also. Although yeah. O'Malley did open that round with a really nice shot, but. Yeah. Um, Jan for sure too for me. Jan hands down oh, round yeah. two. Was that, 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 that was a clear round. Was, I, clear. And I thought the third round was fairly clear too for O'Malley to be honest. Like I, I don't see a, a great case to make for Jan winning that third round. I have really? to go back and watch I it thought, again. Uh, that third one, the first. It's that one cut. Other than that one cut, he just keeps walking forward, and I think he lands like a good two, three punches. I think the blood makes it look more damaging, but I think the bigger shots were still like that. The knee from O'Malley it cut Jan, right? But it didn't necessarily rock him bad. But the two shots Jan landed, I think it was a, a left, right, and then it just you saw his eyes roll back, his head dispensed back, and he kind of wobbled in his feet a bit. So I was like, that was definitely a more damage. So I mean, tough to call, but I think this is one of those fights where scoring criteria can take you everywhere. You can be like, well, look at the the ground control. It's like, but he's not doing anything with the ground control. I know he's on his back, but the takedown, but the takedown didn't do anything. But he got a takedown. So I mean, it's like you can go anywhere with the scorecard on this fight. Well, I'll tell you this: if you Pulled people that know, you know, the judging side of things, and said, "Who are th- who are the top five judges right now?" I would be surprised if Ben Cartledge wasn't on the list of most people, and he was the, one of the judges that gave it to O'Malley. And Ben Cartledge and Dave Lethaby is the other judge is very good as well. But Ben Cartledge really is passionate about judging, really knows what he's doing, knows what he's watching, and also, you know, a lot. Of, I saw somebody write like nobody from the media had a 29-28 and like the verdict app had it like this. I go, and how many of those people were sitting eight feet from the cage watching the fight for 15 minutes through the lens of the scoring criteria? It's like zero, zero people. 
O'Malley was moving backwards so effectively. He was taking angles. He was jabbing. He was sniping on the outside. Like, he was effectively fighting moving backwards. He wasn't just moving backwards and not doing anything. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it's tough. I just think when I'm hearing robbery, robbery this, Cejudo, robbery, I think Cejudo just wants to get attention. But there yeah. was there's no robbery in it at all, in my well, opinion. I, was, I guess. At the end, I was surprised that O'Malley got the decision, to be honest, just because I saw everybody after. Because I thought the first round was close. And then I saw everybody give it to Jan. And I'm thinking, come well, on, maybe it wasn't as close of a round as I thought. You know, yeah. I screwed up one yeah. round earlier in the night. I gave Chukagi in the third round of her fight. And then everybody was all over me for that one. And then I was thinking, like, they showed the replays. I was like, yeah, maybe I was off on that one. And, you know, like, Caitlin Jukagian fights are often decided by, like, one glancing blow. That yeah, takes one place strike. In one round. Yeah. I thought she landed a good body shot, but she also took a good knee that I, I don't think I noticed during the fight. And, again, I'm also not watching with full judging, like, eyes on. I'm thinking about a hundred different things at the same time. Like, of how course, am I going to cover this fight? What am I going to talk about this week? You know, whereas the judges, that's, like, their sole focus. So... For people that come after the judges, I'm sure a lot of people got their parlays busted by Jan losing. I oh, mean, yeah. that's the reality of it. Big time. So I think yeah, yeah. I, I have a lot of friends who bet Dillashaw, so they were really pissed off, you know? Yeah, of course. And yeah. they should be because yeah. you, you hoped – like that's the difference between team sports and – a sport like this, like in the NBA, like you know, there's nursing injuries, there's injury lists, there's there's uh, injury reports in the NFL every single week. Like you know what you're kind of getting into. Whereas in MMA, you just got to assume most of them are going to be injured to an extent and hope that it's not not too bad, right? Like, yeah, yeah. O'Malley well, said mean, after I... the fight that he came into this one, it was like the most healthy he's ever been entering a fight. So, yeah, I was going to say though, with back to like the gambling thing, can you clarify what was the official? Um, thing from the UFC with betting sites. So an, a UFC fighter cannot bet on his own fight or all of all the fights. fights. All and, fights. And same with all sports. Same with people, not, but sports, they can do whatever, like, right? Like technically, if you're a registered corner, Joe, you're not supposed to be betting on fights now based on the UFC code of, con- like code of conduct now. And it's interesting because I get it. Like, can you imagine if like a little bit of a word got out that Dillashaw was hurt going into that fight, and like someone, someone told someone, you know how small this MMA community is, I'm and sure word it got did around. Leak out, no, dude, the, like, the, the line would have gotten steamed to like minus eight hundred yeah. for Sterling. To me, I look at it like insider trading. Like so some of those U.S. There. big officials, they they know. Like the one, uh, the U.S. there, they're all inside trading. Those politicians, come on, just like that. I'm sure there's some side talk. Right. Um, and I don't disagree with that, but I mean, I, I think just in terms of the lens of sports, like last year, Calvin Ridley, who's making like $14 million a year to play wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, took like a personal leave from the team. And during that time, bet like a nine leg parlay or something. And I guess they found out that he bet like, like you're talking longest of long shot parlay, like a fun, like a lottery ticket. It's almost like buying one of those, like the scratch <laughs> tickets. Like that's how little of a chance of hitting that you have, but it was on NFL football and based on their uh, collective bargaining agreement, you're not allowed to do that. And he was suspended for a full year. So he's lost like probably $20 million from if you take his leave of absence and not being able to play this year into account Jeez. because That's of that serious, decision, eh? right? Like it's serious business. And like the UFC, here's the thing. And I, and I asked for some clarification on this. And it looks like UFC fighters are still allowed to kind of break down fights and make picks, but they're not allowed mm-hmm. to bet on the fights. From my understanding. Okay. So, like, when okay. you see, like, a James Krause going and saying, like, here's how I break down the fights. Here's, I yeah, think that's this is his good new value. thing. I think you're allowed to do that, but I don't think that he's allowed to personally bet on the fights. And I don't think that, like, his spouse is allowed to bet on the fights or anybody that's, like, 
betting on his behalf, you're not allowed to do that, right? Like, but I mean, like, who would know? Like, I mean, if you had one of your training partners, obviously, or something. You, I mean, you know obviously, what, ways around. But the code of conduct. I know, obviously, has a lot of I stuff know. in there that never. No, I get it, but I mean, it's stupid. This guys bet on it. You know, many times, me as a coach, betting it's worse because, like, anytime when I was cornering Malcolm those two times. I think Malcolm's going to win every single time. You know, I'm so biased to my guy that I'm like, I'm going to put all my in my guy, you know, even though he's a huge dog. So um, I get And as I we speak, it. Sean Keep... Strickland's violating the code of conduct. I don't know what he's doing, but he's but doing he's something. Violated. There you go. Swearing, Nothing saying something. Nothing or... So yeah. should, should the fighters be really vigilant about this? If nothing else from the code of conduct ever gets enforced, yeah. I guess that's to their discretion. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not yeah. recommending anything. Just saying. But how do they know after, I guess, the list of it's names go out? Like, it's all, like, if you bet on something, there's like a record of it. If I'm here in Canada and I bet on Canada, they would know? Did Like, how do they find out? Typically, it wouldn't matter. But they are, there are, you know, oversight committees or, or people that have oversight from the books where, like, let's say someone did know about Dillashaw being injured. And you saw a bet that was like $100,000 come in on Aljamain Ah, uh, I got it. They would flag that and be like, okay, let's see who this person is. Find out if they know anybody. Go on their Facebook. See if they have mutual friends with Aljamain with a TJ Dillashaw or TJ Dillashaw's coach or Tiki Gosen, his manager. And then if they find something, that person can get charged. Dillashaw and his camp could get in trouble and the UFC could get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. It was FIFA, right, recently? Isn't that the big... Oh, there's always a thing with, with FIFA. FIFA. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> there's always something yeah. going on. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know much about soccer. I shouldn't even say that. I, don't, I have no idea. Um, no, but but honestly, although fight sports has definitely changed, like for, even from my side of things, it used to be shady from the promoter. It's still very shady. Promoters to the fights who you get set up. So still having these little bits of things does make you as a fighter better that at least you're you know, again, even Thailand, there's rumors of like betting and thing wrong, and then all of a sudden in the arena, and there's people outside for you. You know, the sport a little bit keeps it kind of classy, which gets a thing for years, and it's just this can help. Well, do you remember the thing with Leo Kuntz and uh, Tai Hyun Bung? I do not. So, Leo Kuntz fought. I'm just looking it up now. Fought Tai Hyun Bong in the UFC. Um, it was at it was in t- 2015. It was a card uh, headlined by Benson Henderson and Jorge Masvidal. Like random, random fight night card. This is before Masvidal was a big deal. Tai Hyun Bong opened minus 180, and Kuntz opened plus 140. And then okay. on fight day, the line moved so much in the direction of Leo Kuntz to minus like 400. True. So like. A ton of money came in on Leo Kuntz um, on just like the, the the day leading up to. I was on the Friday, November twenty seventh. The card was on Saturday, November twenty eighth. The line moved from minus one seventy in like an hour, or let's say two hours, to like minus four forty four. Jeez! So obviously something was up. Yeah. And apparently, yeah. Um, Tai Bung, you know, some people, uh, you know, unsavory types, mentioned to him, you know, we want you to throw the fight. And he agreed to do so in order to make some extra money. And, of yeah. course, the line offshore money came in so much on one side that it triggered an investigation. They took the lines off the board. And then, right before the fight, 
Taiyun Bang decides, you know what, I'm not going to throw the fight. I, I've, have a, I've had a come-to-God moment. Wins the fight! And then wins it. Wins the fight. Yeah. But he gets killed after. Still did something illegal and was jailed. Jeez. Because he agreed to, like, throw a fight, which is, like, in a regulated sport, is illegal. Then him, I'd be more concerned people who told him yeah, to well, throw the yes, fight is the bigger issue, right? right? But he won the Jail fight. He ended good. up winning. And, like, all the it's people that were like, oh, there's so much value on Leo Kuntz. That's a movie. Or on Tai Yun Bung, so much value on Tai Yun Bung. Probably bet him Jeez. like day of and ended up laughing. But uh, I don't know if they just canceled those bets or what they did. But uh, what background was the fighter? Korean. Korean. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, there there is precedent in the sport for stuff like this happening. So why don't we continue along though? Uh, we we talked about Benil Dariush and Mateusz Gamrot, but that was a great performance from Dariush. Um, I gave Gamrot the first, but it was another one of those ones where it was like, wow, that really could have gone either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Dariush, I thought one, two, and three handily. Um, yeah, easily. And now he, like, if if it wasn't for Volkanovsky, I think he would have been next in line. But now, who knows? Yeah, I mean, just, I was so surprised with his takedown dance and just did everything so Dariush. People just, forgot. People yeah, honestly that, forgot. That was actually, that was going to be the, like, y'all must have forgot about Dariush, you know? Because he's just, tell me, he does everything well. I mean, the way he shut down those takedowns, the way he striked, the way he scrambled out of things, which was fantastic. The way he kind of rolled and Granby rolled and kind of went out back doors and just sharp. Good. Yeah, a great performance. I'm eager to see what's next for him. I think he'll probably end up having to fight somebody else um, in the division in order to to secure a title fight. Yeah. Um, see, what do you think of Gamrat though? Did he live up to the hype so far, or do you think I, I don't know? Well, I, I wasn't thought, overly impressed. I thought Gamrat lost his fight to Tsurukian, to be honest. His last fight, I was surprised that he got the score that that he won that fight, got a decision there. I thought he lost four of those rounds personally. I don't see an exciting fighter out of him really. No, I mean he pressures the for it, but. He's good, high motor, good cardio, yeah, but but it, yeah, he's got some work to do. But it definitely got some yeah, that, climbing to do. This was his second career loss, so I mean, it's like out of like twenty six fights or thing along those lines. So he's he's uh he's, he he was great over in Poland, two division champion in KSW, has a great pedigree, great resume. But mm-hmm. UFC so far, I I haven't been very impressed, like you said. I I think that uh, he's a, he's a solid fighter, but I'm not sure how much like what his ceiling is. But he's he has the skills. He's a good fighter. Yeah, yeah, he'll bring it, that's for sure. Manon Fior defeats Caitlin Chukagian, unanimous decision. Anything to say about this one? I mean, it was pretty much a kickboxing bout. Yeah, no, it was just back and forth, a lot of noise and missing. But once they step in and they crack, I think uh, Fior, the glory event. We had a young uh, a French Moroccan girl take on Tiffany Van Seuss. I, I asked about Fior. That was a close fight. Which is very fight. good. That Van Seuss fight, I, I thought Van Seuss was going to roll. And she... They're doing so so chill about it, too. I was like, guys, this is up to this last round. Yeah, was... Everybody's so relaxed. Yeah, and yeah. it was open scoring. And everybody knew it was down yeah. to the last round. Everyone except Andy Sauer, apparently, because he was oh, so yeah. He's relaxed. like, yeah, well, you won. You won. <laughs> I forgot what yeah. he said in the corner. He's like, you won all four yeah. rounds. It's like, dude. It's Todd, like, it's Todd was like, because I was like, oh, look, legend Andy Sauer. Todd goes, well, Joe, I'm going to say it, but he's giving terrible <laughs> I advice. I, I, I watched, Joe. Okay, I watched. It was a good pay-per-view. Yeah. I was like, that a boy, Todd. Just say it as it is. You can do that. Kind of fight you hate to be cage side for, though, or ringside for with all decisions, like every single. And uh, I was like, yeah. yeah get back yeah. to the hotel room at that, by the time the main event rolls around. Although, great performance by the Ream. Um, and yeah. we got Plaza Bob fighting again soon. I'm excited about that. Yeah, against Raul Katinas. He's a fun fighter. Yeah. Just 
will come forward. It's going to be a scrum. So. <laughs> so, I mean, giddy up. That's what Plazabot yeah. does, too. Oh, yeah. So let's, let's go. Oh, yeah. And Plazabot's huge now, just power lifting and just monster. I mean, Overeem's going to yeah. get the next shot, but I mean, it sh- first off, it should be Ben Sadiq, to be honest. Ben Sadiq yeah. almost put Rico out, just destroyed Adek Bowie again. Uh, but whatever. I, I understand I think that what... Overeem makes money. Overeem beat Rico. I mean, it's. I don't think what happens. I don't Rico's think Overeem can beat, or, uh, can beat uh, uh, Ben Sadiq or Plazabat. So, I mean, yeah, no. yeah. Have one more left. Why not go out yeah. with Rico? Make it massive, right? And Rico wants the big fight, so I think it makes sense yeah, to put over in Rico for sure, and sense. then put Rico Jim, and then probably see the end of Rico very soon. Is this the end of Rico? I think so. Is that reference at all? Uh, no. It's from uh, Little Caesar. Oh no, sorry, it's from Scarface. It's from the original Scarface. We've talked about this before. It's from the 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 yeah the the Scarface. There's a Scarface from like the 1930s. Before, yeah, I didn't see that one yeah. yet. And then at the end, he goes, "Is this the end of Rico?" That's like the last line okay. of the movie. Boom. Yeah, I gotta watch that because I was such a fan of the the one in what in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. But he's a, the original Scarface is Italian. Oh, really? Yeah. Who, who plays him? I wouldn't Dude, know anyways, but... I, don't know. I, have no idea. I don't know. You you seem to know everything yeah. about the, those kind of things. I watched that in film film studies class uh, twenty plus years ago, so I couldn't tell you. Oh, all right. All right. Um, what else we got here? Um, actually, well, no. I, I watched that. I, would think. I watched that in gangster cinema class. I took a full class on gangster cinema at university. Gangster. So oh, if you, I would like if you want to encourage your kids to go to university, there's an argument for it. You think gangster What's your cinema. favorite gangster movie before we move on? Well, Goodfellas, I think. Goodfellas, yeah, it's up there. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's probably mine. The first too. Godfather's phenomenal too, of course. First Godfather's good. Yeah. Casino good. Casino underrated, I'd say. Good. Up there. Top I like five. a Bronx Tale too. I like Bronx Tale. Yeah, I, Bronx Tale's very good too. You know, Scarface, I, I think is, I hate to say it, in in terms of gangster films, kind of overrated. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, gangster Italian gangster movies were the best for me, but he was he wasn't Italian, so like I still liked it, but. I love the Italian gangster movies more. I like the Jewish gangster movies. There you go. Yeah, I don't know if they exist. Gangs of <laughs> New York. I'm I think sure there is. I think there are Jewish yeah, gangs of New York. Yeah. All right. Sure there's something. All right. What else we got? Uh, Bilal Muhammad. What a performance. Remember the name. Yeah. People will now. TKO over Sean Brady, previously undefeated. I mean, he just got better and better as that fight went along. And, uh, I mean, he, he looked phenomenal. I mean, not, not much more to say. Yeah. That a body hook, uppercut. Yeah. People Brady said it was an early stoppage. Up, I didn't think uh, so. Brady was just standing uh, there. I mean, he could have taken more, and I'm sure he Brady would have preferred to go out but on the shield. That's not why but you stop like, a fight because someone can cumulative take more damage. damage, man. It, he didn't have that one shot. I'm gonna put you out, but he put like ten shots of mixing hook up straight jab, uppercut, bang left, finish them up, piece them up. Good. They didn't have to use all that grappling. We all thought the fight would have been and. Boom, Bilal Muhammad, man. Like, he, uh, again, I'm always, every time I see him, like, okay, he's good, but how good? He's good, but how good? And, and everybody says that he's been an underdog in, like, he's five, four of his last fights. Four of his yeah, last five that fights. That could be his name, dog, man, because yeah. he's literally climbing his way up. And I don't, I think most were, you know, giving Brady the win. You know, Bilal was the underdog. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you two words as to why that fight gets stopped. Intelligent defense. And people are like, there were 10 seconds left. Well, it was 4.47. The referee has no idea how much time is left in the fight. They're watching yeah, the fight. True. They're not looking at the clock. But intelligent defense, if you're not, if your arms aren't up, if you're not defending yourself, if you're just getting hit clean, and you're not, you're not doing anything to defend yourself, the referee is well within their parameters to stop that fight. And I actually thought it was a very good stoppage. 
able to stop that. You know, if he stop, it's just basically standing. He was against the fence, just eating and piecing him up with every shot. I mean, blood. I'm telling you, he doesn't necessarily. He plays it right, and I think he's going to be a great five round fighter too when it comes to title time because he doesn't necessarily try to smack you so much he's efficient with his strikes he puts combinations together he's good with his range he just pressures and tracks you you try to take him down he doesn't care because he's got good solid defense like just good man i'm telling you i think he's gonna do a a great run there in the welterweights he can do it all and let's skip a couple fights we're gonna go to uh, mohammed against one of your former pupils malcolm gordon um gordon was like an eight to one underdog and he sure didn't look it he certainly gave a good account of himself yeah, heck yeah. It was honestly, it was a, a proud moment. We're here watching at the gym. We just had it. We finished our pro training and we put out the iPad and watched him. We was just, man, to see him turn into a striker, a proud moment for me even. Just whipping good pressure, good, you know, going after it. Uh, just again, I think he still gets back in his jujitsu ways sometimes, a little complacent on his back, but dangerous he is on his back also he'll put you in a triangle like arm bars are crazy back in the second round fantastic moments and i it's it's uh i know i fights in but i still think finding his groove and i think the more confidence we see we're just every performance he's had has been better yeah he is getting better and better and i think that a lot of people thought there was gonna be a walk in the park for makhayev but this was i think by far his most difficult fight that he's had in his young career yeah i mean it. I mean, it took him to the third, third. I know Malcolm probably lost a few rounds, but still, they were close. And could had his even that third round. If Malcolm didn't overthrow his punches and didn't go to the ground, it would have been a completely different fight, you know. And I think this is probably the the first fight uh, or second fight of his his next contract. So listen, he keeps fighting like that. He's going to be in the UFC for a while, and, and I hope so. Yeah, I mean, he's thirty two. He still has a lot more time that he can continue to look. Uh, very, very good in, yeah. uh, in the UFC. And I, I'm eager to see what's next for him because I think that he definitely uh, gave a really good account of himself in that fight. Yeah, and I think what uh, a good moment for me was like when we first went to Abu Dhabi, it was Fight Island. There was nothing open. Everything was closed. Uh, it was him t- taking a big fight. Him going back. And my big thing with him was I'm like, it sucks because I always wanted him to full experience. Not getting the UFC experience. I mean, this time here, he got to walk out in crowd. He got to experience to have a win. But I just think fighting, that was the moment that I really needed in his career to feel that and all that people. And you know who Amir Al-Bazi is fighting next, the, the former opponent of uh, Malcolm Gordon? I I heard it was a good one. Uh, I do know this. I do know this. Yeah, Brandon Royval. Okay, you got go. it. You're still paying attention to everything. I'm still paying on. attention. I do. I still, I still, not as good as I was before when I was on every week, but I'm still there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still I'm here. happy to see that. You're, still you're listening to the podcast still and everything, I'm sure. Yeah, so, I'm listening. I'm following. I just, uh, it's, it has been nice, though, not to have to come home and watch every single fight, but uh, I do miss it still. I uh, watch. Well, we miss you. We miss having you around here. Yeah, I'm actually off. I have my main guy fighting in karate combat. I'm off to Orlando in tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, I saw. He's um, uh, tell me his name again because I saw him uh, on uh, uh, Diego Avendao. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Your name was in the tweet. It was Karate Combat. It was like Bazooka Joe Valfellini's, you know, pupil Diego. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. putting my name into it, which is good. Is uh, puts more for me now as the coach. 
Well, I'm sure you like that. Performs, yeah. I'm sure I like it. I'm just excited to be honest, like not go. I'm more excited. It's not a glory event, if that sounds weird. Oh, it's a because different it's role like, for you. I get to go. I get to relax. Not working for glory. Also work for Karate Combat, so we get to hang out with them in a nice. I get to see Wonder Boy and ask him about my video on how to beat <laughs> Wonder Boy Thompson, see if he likes it. But uh, it'll be there. So I get to, to fanboy a little bit and just hang out with some cool people. Can you record the conversation with Wonder? Like, oh, yeah, Joe, you know, I watched that video. So it was? It yeah. really helped me learn about myself and how to defend against these kinds Thank of pressure you. fighters. Thank, Thank you, man. You know, you're, you're the best. I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah, for sure it is. It's going to be so nice. I'm going to feel so bad. I'm like, okay, man, I'm taking the video down right now. I'm taking it down. How Stephen Wonderboy Thompson can beat everybody in the UFC with his karate stance. Yes. That's the next, the That's next video. It. I'm going to change up the video now. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm excited to meet him finally, though. It's it's, it's weird, but I'm following him for so long. And every time he fights, I get messages being like, oh, how do you be like? I mean, so it's been years. It's finally time we get to cross yeah, paths. Yeah. Hopefully we don't fight, you know? Yeah, Maybe we get to a background fight. We create some controversy. So when he's done with the UFC fight, yeah, you'll have to. Uh, you'll have yeah. to tell me how that in goes. Karate I'm eager combat, to hear how right? that goes. Bazooka versus one way in karate combat. Would you want to do that? Uh, karate combat has the money. Yeah, I would like <laughs> always the answer. <laughs> if always the answer. Karate combat wants to fork out some coin i would love mm -hmm. to do it they also have raymond daniels back maybe they want a rematch so maybe i'll be pitching karate at a nice paycheck to come fight both of them yeah in one night tournament style one tournament yeah there you go <laughs> all right still so. would have been easier than my japan one <laughs> i had to do raymond daniels and nikki holtzkin it'd be wow, easier that's a, that's a pretty pretty intense back-to-back -back. yeah nuts well i appreciate your time joe um i'm a new uh, pick up from here with some uh, Bellator and Ryzen cross-promotion news and a preview of UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Allen. Unless you want to talk Cater. I know you, you're a big Cater guy. You want to talk Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen before you go? All right, so uh, what do you think of that matchup? It's an interesting one because um, I think it's going to be a very, very tactical fight. Yeah, I just think uh, Arnold Allen is pretty good everywhere, I feel. I feel like he can bring the fight anywhere, but uh, I think... The specialist side of Calvin being good with his punches and his timing and his range, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Calvin's night. Obviously, I, I'm a little biased, but uh, I think Arnold Allen does things well. But I just think Calvin on the feet and his range and experience will be a lot for him. Dude, Calvin just keeps getting chances to get back into the title mix. Like <laughs> he, he fights fights Holloway, loses that. Fights Giga, and everybody's like, if Giga wins, he should fight for the championship. He beats Giga, and then he loses a very close split to Josh Emmett, and now he's right back in the mix against, the, I guess, undefeated in the UFC, Arnold Allen. I don't think Arnold Allen has lost in the UFC. What do you think of Arnold Allen? You know, I don't know what to make of Arnold Allen, really. I, he's just a very, very well-rounded fighter. There's nothing really yeah. that stands out to me about his game. He's just great yeah. everywhere. You know, like, he, he reminds me of, uh, like, Rafael Sunsau from the other week. He's just like... Rafael Sensei is great everywhere. Like, you're not going to, you have to be very, very precise to beat a guy like that. And that's how I feel about Arnold Allen. Yeah. Do you feel uh, it's right? Calvin's small favorite? Yeah, I think so. I think Calvin, if he fights to the best of his ability, I'm not sure if Arnold Allen's going to be able to shut down what Calvin Cater brings to the table. Yeah, I agree. I just think the, like I said, the specialist striking of Calvin, how he uses his range, and again, his takedown defense is great too. So I mean, if if Arnold Allen's trying to mix things up, I think it'll be hard for him, and Calvin will keep him at bay in range. So I'm gonna go uh, probably Calvin by decision. This is the kind of fight that Calvin Cater tends to do well in, like this Very kind of well. opponent that he he's not too afraid of, you know, him on the feet kind of thing. He's not too threatened by him. 
and he can kind of work his magic. So we'll see how that goes. Um, all right, Joe, I'm going to let you go. And uh, good. on the other side, we're going to talk about Bellator and Ryzen and preview the rest of UFC Fight Night Cater versus Allen. Always great having Bazooka Joe join me to break down the big fights. It's uh, always a pleasure speaking with him. And to you, the listener, for tuning in. As we continue the show, the train rolls on. A couple of things I want to talk about. We'll start off with uh, this weekend's fight card. We got a, a solid one. Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen as the headliners. Stakes are high, as always, when there's a featherweight main event. Arnold Allen undefeated in the UFC. Calvin Cater has been fighting the best of the best. We're going to see how this one plays out. I, I like this fight quite a bit, but I think that Cater has a lot of advantages here. I think that Cater, with his strong takedown defense, keeps this fight on the feet. And in a five-round fight where Arnold Allen is not accustomed to being in five-round fights, despite his very low output, I think that Cater's going to be able to put it on Allen to raise the level of output and win enough rounds on damage to get it done. I think that Cater wins a decision here. I was surprised to see him as the uh, the underdog. As it stands right now, he is a very small underdog. He, he was like plus 115, I think, at the beginning of the week. Now minus 111 to Arnold Allen's minus 115, according to our friends at FanDuel. It seems like money is coming in on the Cater side. And I certainly agree with that sentiment. Uh, personally, I think I'll be on Cater. And then also Cater, by decision, is um, paying plus 220. I think that's probably where most of my investment would be on this fight. If I was looking at it from that angle, I think that uh, a finish is kind of unlikely given the durability of Arnold Allen. And I think that Arnold Allen's cardio will hold up, but I also think that that means he's going to have to manage his output as he often does do in his fights. He's a very, very low output fighter. Now, the big question for me is when is Cater's chin going to catch up with him? Because it doesn't, doesn't seem to have, if you look at his recent resume, he keeps, I mean, even against Max Holloway, he took like 400 strikes and if you look at his history he's lost by sub back we're talking 14 years ago 14 plus years ago but otherwise has not been stopped and his fights have been going to decision the last four have gone to decision against Dan Ige, Max Holloway, Giga Jakadze and Josh Emmett so I don't know if he's going to be able to stop Arnold Allen unless Allen's fuel tank hits empty in like the fourth round. So I like Cater to win by decision. I think that's the way to look at this fight. And I think that as he accumulates damage as the fight goes on, it'll be more and more apparent that he's going to pull away. But listen, this is MMA. It's a volatile game. Arnold Allen looked really good in his last fight against Dan Hooker. And will Cater's chin catch up with him eventually for taking all of the shots, facing the Josh Emmett of the world, taking 400 strikes from Max Holloway? I mean, I don't know if 400 is the number, but it was up there. <laughs> it was a lot of strikes. Um, you know, chins don't last forever. It's the one thing that doesn't get better with age. Uh, well, one of, one of many things. But uh, definitely the first to go. But Calvin Cater, I think, is going to be able to find a, a win here against Arnold Allen. And the co-main event, Tim Means against Max Griffin. Now, this is an interesting one because Griffin looked fantastic in his last fight. And now he's a minus 200 favorite. But Tim Means has still won three of his last four. Wins over Nicholas Dalby, Mike Perry, and Loriano Steropoli. Now, I don't. I think Dalby is still in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. I think he has a fight coming up, actually. Um, no, well, he's coming off a win. So he's still in the UFC. But other than that, Mike Perry no longer in the UFC. I mean, he did sign now. It's where he wasn't cut. 
Uh, Steropoli, no longer in the UFC. Then prior to that, lost to Daniel Rodriguez and a win over Tiago Alves before that. But if you look at his wins in the UFC, only one comes against an active UFC fighter, which is a bit of a red flag for me. But at the same time, it shows that he has been doing well in recent fights. Uh, I mean, his most recent win is against an active UFC fighter. So you have to take that into consideration as well. Personally, I would pass on this altogether. I do think that Griffin by KO at plus 260 is somewhat live because I think that his power has started to get better and he's started to have a, a little bit more precision. It feels like he's getting better with age. But uh, I would stay away from this one. I think that there's not really a, a lot of value on either side. Waldo Cortez Acosta, minus 215. Jared Vandera, plus 164. Now, if you're going to give me a total of one and a half on a Jared Vandera fight, or really a heavyweight fight at this point in time, I tend to lean the over. I like the over one and a half in Bandera against Cortez Acosta. And if you can get a good fight starts round three prop at plus money, I would, I would look at that in that direction as well. Still waiting for a lot of these FanDuel props to come down at the time of this recording. But uh, I think Cortez Acosta gets it done. I think KO would be an eventuality. In fact, the line on him to win by KO is like minus 105. That being said, Vandera has been pretty durable throughout his career. So that's why I like the over one and a half in that one. Uh, Josh Fremd against Treshawn Gore. I like the Fremd side here. I just think that Treshawn Gore is not UFC ready just yet. I think that uh, he looked good on the Ultimate Fighter, but came in 3-0 and into the promotion. And I think that that did him a bit of a disservice. Um, if I can find a good Fremd by submission line, I mean, right now you can get it close to 10-1. to 1. That's probably the way that I'm going to approach this one. I think that is a, a, a solid path to victory for Josh Fremd. And to see it at that high of a number, I think that's probably going to end up being my dart throw this week. Dustin Jacoby, minus 180. Khalil Roundtree Jr., plus 140. I like the Roundtree Jr. side here at plus 140. I think this is a total dogger pass. And I've been getting Dustin Jacoby fights wrong since the dawn of time. So you probably want to stay away from this one, but I like Khalil Roundtree Jr. I, I just can't get a good read on Dustin Jacoby. But that being said... I do think that when you look at what um, what Roundtree brings to the table and you, you see the success he has against a guy like Gokan Saki, I think he can stand with anybody in, in the UFC. And when he lands, he lands with a lot of damage. But it was discouraging to see him lose to Marcin Prakniau in the way that he did. And if Justin, uh, Dustin Jacoby fights that same kind of fight, he could definitely win a decision. But... You know, a lot of how Khalil Roundtree performs is based on how he's feeling that day. And he's been admitting that and, and how his camp's gone. Like, a lot of the outside factors tend to affect Khalil Roundtree Jr. So we'll see if that's a factor on Saturday night. But I like the Roundtree side. I think it's Dogger Pass in that one. Uh, Phil Haas, minus 186. Roman Delizze, plus 144. I might look for a sneaky Delizze sub prop. Because this guy's nasty with his leg locks. And if Phil Haas is going to be shooting for takedowns. Delete can catch him with one of those. Um, that's that's the one thing I would look at. That might be another dart throw. I might do two dart throws, two submission prop dart throws. I do think actually Haas is probably the rightful favorite here and probably more, more often than not wins this fight. So I'm not recommending a straight play on Delizze, but if you want to uh, get a little bit of value, I think Delizze's best path to victory, in fact, is probably a submission. So if, if you can get him at that price, uh, I, I'd say to go for it, but... Let's uh, move on to another heavyweight fight. You got Marcos Rogerio de Lima, minus 260. Andre Arlovsky, plus 200. 
to me, this is another dogger pass. You, you take Arlovsky or you don't take it at all. I, you, you just can't reliably take Rogerio Glima against any UFC opponent at minus 260. And I also like the over, uh, at, over two and a half at minus 174. The Rogerio subline is interesting too, but Arlovsky tends not to get subbed. So I might end up on the Arlovsky decision side if that ends up in like the three to one range. I think that's probably the way that I approach this one. Because Arlovsky hasn't gotten a finish in like, what, not eight years, something along those lines. It's been a long time since he's gotten a finish. Jun Young Park, the Iron Turtle, minus 265. Joseph Holmes, plus 200. Uh, I like the Park side here. Um, I just think he's got Joseph Holmes beat wherever he wants to beat him. You know, I think Joseph Holmes has an interesting skill set for the division. It's just he hasn't been able to put it all together yet. Once he does, I think he's going to be dangerous. And you look at the Holmes by submission prop, again, plus 750. Like, that's probably his best path of victory in this fight. But, uh... I'm going to take the Park side. Might even look at Park by decision at plus money, uh, depending on what price that opens at. Uh, Chase Hooper minus 295. Steve Garcia plus 220. I'll be looking at the Hooper submission prop, potentially. Hooper did win his last fight by KO, and uh, the KO prop looks to not be having a whole lot of value. So I do like Chase Hooper in this spot, though. I think Hooper inside the distance is a good way to play it as well if you can get a decent price on that. Um, I just think Hooper will find something at some point against Steve Garcia. Garcia moving up, he'll be a lot smaller than uh, Chase Hooper, I would think, uh, on fight night. And I thought Chase Hooper really came, you know, came into his own in his last fight. And uh, I discussed that with him later on in the show. You can hear some of the interviews that we've got coming up. Clayton Rodriguez is out. So Cody Durden is now facing uh, recent LFA title challenger Carlos Mota. On short notice, I might take Durden here, honestly, because Durden has the UFC experience. Um, I thought Mota looked really good in his last fight, but at the same time, short notice assignment. I don't know if he had something scheduled in LFA. I'm not 100% sure on that, so I should probably look into that before making any sort of official play. But I think the value is on a guy that's had a full UFC camp in Durden. But uh, Mota is a really good fighter, so probably will just stay away from that one. And uh, Christian Rodriguez, a minus 430 favorite against Joshua Weems, plus 300. Uh, I like the Rodriguez side here. I liked him against Armfield, but Armfield pulled out. So uh, I'll probably be looking at uh, at the props when they open up, see if I can get a good deal on Rodriguez by KO, because I think that's his most likely path. But I also need to look into Weems a little bit too. Like, how durable is he? You know, if you look at uh, his history, he's 10 and 2. He just came off a win over Mo Miller, who is a UFC caliber fighter. He got knocked out by Fernie Garcia on the Contender Series. Has been knocked out in boxing in the past, uh, according to his topology page, and has been KO'd early in his career as well. So we'll take a look at C-Rod. I, I, I really like Christian Rodriguez. I think he's a really strong prospect, 24 years old. I think he's going to go places in the UFC. Lost to Jonathan Pierce, but got a round off of him in the last fight. Uh, that was a short notice assignment. Was really impressed with him on the Contender Series. He destroyed his opponent. And I was surprised he didn't get a contract. But he didn't make weight. Which is always uh, an issue. Uh, if you're, you're looking to have longevity in your UFC career. However, this fight is at bantamweight. He's going to look to uh, go back to his natural weight class. And if he can make weight consistently at bantamweight. I think he's going to be a problem in this division. And one day be a ranked fighter. I really am high on Christian Rodriguez. So that's my breakdown for this UFC Fight Night card. Now. Bellator and Ryzen announced uh, their cross-promotion card on New Year's Eve. 
And I want to speak on this because I tweeted about this as well. But let's let's talk for a second here because Josh Thompson came out and said, and I like Josh Thompson's work. I listen to him and uh, Big John's show, show from time to time. I, th- I think they do a very good job on that show. And I, I think that Josh Thompson does a good job at the desk uh, for Bellator. So I'm not trying to put the guy down, but his wording was really poor. I mean, I hope he can admit that because he said media should do, the MMA media should do their job and promote this event. Well, it's not on us to promote the event. And everybody keeps saying that, and it's the truth. It's not on the media to promote Bellator and Ryzen's co-promoted event. However, if he meant to say, which is what I think he meant to say, that we should be supporting big co-promotions like this, well, then I emphatically agree. Like, I think you should absolutely, we should absolutely be pushing the idea of co-promoted events, especially when both promotions are putting their best foot forward. I think this is a really good event. Really, really strong matchups, great matchmaking. Uh, I think that we're going to see something really good here. However, and this is a, a big however, because I always get on Bellator's case about this. I don't think they like what I do, but I'm going to keep banging this drum. You can't expect people to tune in to tape delayed events in North America. It's not how we're wired as a society anymore. In 1989, when you want to show the Lakers game on tape delay at 7 p.m. when it happened at 4 p.m. and people don't have access to the internet and they're not showing basketball results on the news, I get it. In that world, tape delay was a reality. In this world, it's not a reality. We have a million different social media platforms. We have... A million different ways of getting news and results. They're thrown at us whether we like them or not. So to have the expectation that people that are into MMA are going to avoid results for 12 hours. So that they can tune in at 8pm Eastern on New Year's Eve no less. People have plans with their families. Not everybody's sitting on their couch watching MMA on uh, New Year's Eve. Let alone tape delayed MMA. A great event. I will not say a bad word about this event in terms of the matchmaking, in terms of the, the concept, in terms of like everything about it is good except for this one thing. And this one thing is a big thing because you're asking people to change their behaviors on New Year's Eve to watch your event. Now, at the time of this recording, they say it's airing at 8 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. A lot can change. From then to now. From now to then, rather. From now to then, they can figure out a way. This is 2022. In fact, it's going to be one day before 2023 when this thing airs. Find a way to show this live. If you want people to watch it, and they love MMA, they'll get up at whatever it is, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., to watch the main card of that of this card. Because asking people to avoid results for 12 hours to watch an event on premium cable on New Year's Eve is a ridiculous ask. It's a ridiculous ask. And if Josh Thompson wants us to cover this event, we'll cover it. We're going to cover it live, and we're going to put out the results, because that's our job. So be careful what you wish for. Because if everybody's covering this event while it's happening live, I got, I got news for you. Not a whole lot of people are going to tune into it. Because not only will there be results available, this is airing in Japan. Highlights are going to be out there. 
people are going to be able to watch the, the, the finishes of these fights long before they air on TV. Nobody wants to watch tape delayed events in 2022. Nobody. Zero people. We have the capacity to show things live. Show it live. Find a way. Because that's how you're going to grow your promotion. Not by the media covering the event. While I'm sure that does get your promotion's name out there and it's good. You need to show the event live. We're in 2022. I don't know how many more times I've got to say it because they keep showing events on tape delay. They've, they've gotten better. They used to show those Ireland events on like, a, you know, taped on tape delay in North America. The events that took place in the UK. They have gotten better. Like I'll, I'll give I'll give them their due. But if you want this to be your big tentpole event of the year, and you want us to talk about how great co-promotion is, we'll do all that. But. This is a big ask. And I don't think it's a realistic one. All right. Got that out of my system. And I hope they come to their senses and find a way to show this live. Because it's like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's ridiculous. Anderson Silva's boxing Jake Paul this weekend. And that's all I got to say about that. We'll see what happens. I'll be very sad if Anderson Silva loses. Like, I mean, I listen. I cover, I cover mixed martial arts. Not boxing. And, you know, before I covered mixed martial arts, Anderson Silva was like my favorite fighter. And for him at whatever age, I think he's what, 46 now? 47? If he gets beat up by Jake Paul, it's going to be sad. Well, let's just call it that for what it is. And they, they put out... I know I said this was all I was going to say about this, but they put out a release this week. I guess most valuable promotions or whatever Jake Paul's promotion company is. Lauding this event as being the second highest grossing event in the history of whatever the arena. What's it called? Diamond Dog Arena? I know that's a David Bowie reference. and That's not what it's called. But the arena, it used to be called the Gila River Resort and Casino Arena in Glendale. I think it's Desert Diamond Arena. That sounds right. It's the second highest grossing combat sports event between UFC, I think it was 264, and a UFC fight night card with Gaethje versus Poirier. And they're like, Gaethje versus Poirier would go on to fight for the title. So both guys would fight for the title. Well, that was, I mean, this was before they were fighting, but whatever. Be that as it may. There have been four big events in like the, four big combat sports events in like the history of this arena, maybe five. Like you're, you're, you're putting out a release that's like, that's, I don't know. And then you go and look at ticket sales and like, there's a, seems like 50% of the tickets are still on sale on Ticketmaster. Well, we'll see what happens at that event. If, if Anderson Silva, like, I'll be watching it. You know, I hate to say it, but if there's an MMA tie-in, like if it's Jake Paul against, what's Tyson Fury's brother's name, whatever. If it's like Paul versus Tyson Fury's brother, whose name I've already forgotten. Like, I, I'm not interested really in watching it, to be honest. If it's Jake Paul versus Hasim Rockman Jr., I'm not interested in watching it. I probably won't watch it. But if there's an MMA tie-in, especially with Anderson Silva, who's looked really good uh, as a boxer thus far, I'll watch it. I'll give it its due. But I really hope that Silva gets it done. I hate, you know, it's... I can be biased in this situation because I don't cover boxing. 
I'll be watching, I guess, as a fan, sort of, although there's MMA involved, so I can't really say that either. I'm trying to think if we have anything else to get to before we hit up our interviews. Um, UFC 282 tickets are going on sale this week, and they've announced that it's going to be headlined by Yuri Prokoshka versus Glover Teixeira 2. So John Jones... Unless something changes, because all cards are subject to change. But if you're putting out tickets and you're putting that as your headliner, unless they're waiting to see if tickets sell or not, it looks more likely than not that John Jones is not going to be on this card. And then, let's look at next year. Because we've got an event in Brazil. They're not going to put John Jones on that card. You've got a, uh, an event in Australia. You're not going to put John Jones on that card, in all likelihood. I mean, especially if you've got Makhachev versus Volkanovski. And you got... A card in March, which I, I did an interview with Bilal Muhammad. You'll hear later on. He says, oh, I'd, love to f- I'd love to fight the winner of the event in March, Usman versus Edwards. So if they're looking to do that in the UK, then March is out too. Like, we're going to have three international pay-per-views to start off 2023 unless they do two in a month, which is possible. So... The earliest I'd say that John Jones could fight, I guess, would be February. If they do two events in the sh- shortest month of the year, very unlikely. Maybe March. It just keeps getting pushed back. It's going to be three years. It's going to be basically since before the start of the pandemic. He fought in February 2020. It's going to be three plus years of John Jones in his prime not fighting. And I don't know what kind of advice John Jones is getting from Richard Schaefer or whatever, but is it worth sitting out three years? To get like a big payday, when you probably could have defended the title a couple time, a couple more times, made made more money. I don't know. Stayed active, got you know, improved your brand. I'm not going to go after a guy for trying to maximize his earning potential, but it seems the UFC are happy to just headline with Glover versus Yuri too. And speaking of Yuri Prokashka, a guy with two thumbs. This guy made a realization when going through the USADA testing database that Yuri Prokashka has been tested 24 times in the last month. And if you're out there and you've reported this without citing me, without sourcing me, I've got you. Because he was tested 27 times in Q3. But the reason that I know that he was tested 24 times in the last month is because I have last month's database results saved. So unless you can cite where you got your information from, you're plagiarizing. And I've seen a couple people do it. But I digress. I don't know what the reason for this is, but it's absolutely certain that something is up here. Because they're not going to just take a random... I mean, he's a champion, so I can't say a random fighter. But they're not going to just target a champion like that and have him test 27 times in a quarter, 24 times in a month. If there's not some sort of adverse test or something, or some sort of pilot project they're doing with just one guy, which is very unlikely... His team is not commenting on it. The UFC is not commenting on it. I've asked for comment. So, USADA is not allowed to comment on it. They can't, they can't disclose why they've tested somebody so many times due to uh, health privacy reasons. So, what, like, why is this a secret? Like, is there a reason why this is being kept under wraps? Like, this is, again, it's the same thing with the Connor situation. Like, if, you, if you're putting in a drug testing policy so that you can be transparent 
and then you're going in the opposite direction of transparency, what's the point of the program? Like, I get that it's keeping the sport clean, as clean as it can. But if you're going to put out, like, information like that Connor's not being tested for a year, and then Dana White at the last pay-per-view this past weekend said, oh, yeah, he needs to go test in USADA for six months before he can compete again, dot, dot, dot. If you read the the uh, actual guidelines, they can just overrule, override that like they did with Brock Lesnar. Who subsequently tested positive for a substance. But. Like if if you're not going to be transparent about all of these things. Like what's the point of having the program? Like one of the big reasons you implemented USADA. Was to have a transparent a, a drug testing program. That's why you have Jeff Nowitzki there. as like a liaison. Why you have USADA in place. So if you're leaving people with more questions than answers. That's a problem. It's a big problem. So, yeah, I was just very surprised by that. Um, a couple fights announced for UFC 282, the uh, aforementioned card that is headlined by Yuri Prokhashka and Glover Teixeira. This is a really nice card, actually. Even though they didn't get John Jones versus Blank done for this card, you've got Prokhashka versus Glover Teixeira. You've got Blahovich versus Enkolaev. Great fight. Paddy Pimblett added to the card against Jared Gordon. That's the fight that Gordon's wanted that Pimblett has certainly not shied away from. Robbie Lawler against Santiago Ponzinibbio. That's a classic right there. Alexander Gustafson versus Ovin St. Preux. That's a nice throwback. Darren Till against Drikas Duplessis. I love that fight. Edmund Shabajian taking on Dalcha Lunjambula. That's an interesting one as well. I, was, I thought that those guys trained together, but yeah, I might be wrong on that. Maybe Dolce had... I think Dolce's actually at Sanford now. He had trained uh, at Extreme for a bit. Had a cup of coffee there, probably before Edmund got there. Uh, Jarzinho Rosenstroik against Chris Dawkins. That's another great car- fight that I think was supposed to headline a-, a fight night that they're just adding to this card, if I'm not mistaken. Billy Quarantillo is back in action against Alexander Hernandez. Great matchup there. I love that matchup. TJ Brown versus Eric Silva. Chris Curtis against Joaquin Buckley. Love that matchup as well. Uh, Ronnie Lawrence against Cameron Simon, who was uh, on this past season of the uh, Dana White Contender Series, and Venetia Salvador, another Contender Series uh, alum from this past season, against Daniel Da Silva. And they also just announced that Raul Rosas Jr. will be making his uh, debut on the card. He's now 18 years of age. Doesn't need parental permission anymore. Taking on Jay Perrin. So, UFC 282 shaping up quite nicely. So why don't we dive into our interview, shall we? While we're on the subject of uh, UFC 280, recapping that, why don't we lead off with Bilal Muhammad, who just came off of a massive win over Sean Brady. We discussed that earlier in the show. Remember the name. It becomes a better and better nickname with each fight, because this guy just keeps winning. After Bilal, we will be joined by some of the fighters from... This weekend's card, starting with the headliners, Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen, plus interviews with Chase Hooper and Khalil Roundtree, all right here on the TSN MMA show. And as a bonus, we also have an interview with uh, a descendant of combat sports royalty, Biagio Ali Walsh, will join us as well. He's uh, making his PFL debut in an amateur fight in the lightweight division 
on November the 25th. So let's dive right in. Here is Bilal Muhammad on the TSN MMA show. It's a nickname that becomes more and more apt with each fight. It's remember the name, Bilal Muhammad, because if you don't remember the name, I mean, you're not paying attention. So another win over Sean Brady, an undefeated fighter. Uh, it just seemed like as the fight went on, you were feeling your rhythm more and more and just getting better and better. Did you feel that way in there? Yeah, honestly, it felt so good. Uh, the game plan that we were working on the whole time, what we wanted to do, uh, it was every, everything we thought of. So, uh, the first round, we knew that we wanted to keep it standing. We didn't want him to once he once he takes guys the first down the first round and he holds them and he control gets control time. That's when he starts getting confidence. That's when he starts taking over. Uh, we knew we didn't we couldn't let that happen. We we're like we cannot get taken down. We cannot let him take the lead. If he doesn't take the lead, then he starts folding. And we wanted to put him in uncomfortable spots. Obviously, everybody knows how to punch. Everybody knows how to kick. But we know that he's not very comfortable standing up. So I was like the whole time we we're like. We, we could wrestle with them, but we don't need to wrestle with them. We have better stand-up. Let's keep it on the feet, make them uncomfortable, and eventually it'll end up breaking them. And second round, it did. Yeah, he was very sharp in the first round. It seemed like he was you know, hitting you with some pretty solid straights and uh, was keeping you on your feet. But it's like I said, you just kind of seemed to pull away as the fight went on. Um, and, and that seems to be something of a signature for you. It's like you, you do feel your opponent out quite a little bit and, and see where your advantages are going to be, and then you're able to capitalize on those. Yeah, we knew that he had very fast counters. We knew that he had uh, uh, coming in, we were going to take some damage. But I'm a guy that I'm not afraid of the fire. I'm not a, I'm not a guy that's afraid to get hit. So I knew that I, if I stay there, stay in the pocket, I'll make my reads and I'll figure them out. I feel like I'm one of the best guys at figuring guys out mid-fight and adjusting mid-fight. So first round, we started feeling him out. All right, he started landing hook. Second round, we knew that we had to come uppercuts and up the middle. And that's what was to start landing for us and start seeing those shots a little bit better. Like, there's, we knew that it was a three-round fight. I wanted to make it a five-round fight because, like I said, my gas tank is my, my a weapon for me. So we knew we wanted to step on the gas right away since it's only three rounds. And we wanted to push him hard right away. So I had to be in his face, and I couldn't back up uh, at all because that was going to give him some sort of breathing room. There was a couple times where he took some terrible uh, shots on me. Uh, because I felt like he was uncomfortable and he wanted to get that time to take catch a break, push me on the fence, uh, you know, rest a little bit. So I was like, I cannot let him happen. I cannot let him give him that break. I got to keep his back on the fence. And I got to keep him uh, looking at my feints, looking at my strikes, looking at my punches, and not knowing what to do from there. Was this the perfect outcome for you? Because really, what are they going to say now? I mean, they've said, oh, you can't finish anybody, you know, that, uh, oh, you know, such and such is a fluke. It was a close fight. In this situation, you get a finish over an undefeated fighter and you do it in a really impressive fashion. There's not much else anybody can say at this point in time. Exactly. Like you, like you said, it was the perfect ending uh, for me for this long five weeks. Uh, it was, I had to put a stamp on it. It was one of the biggest cards of the year, the People are telling me, oh, you're on a prelims, but I'm like, it's the main event of the prelims for one of the biggest pay-per-views. It's a huge spot, a lot of eyes on it. So it was a big spot for me, and I was happy with that spot. So I had to show out on there in front of my people, in front of my crowd. And like you said, yeah, there was a million people, oh, you got pillow hands, you got no hands, you got no striking. And I was looking at it like, bro, like, have you watched my other fights? I go in every fight with a different game plan, different style. Obviously, I'm not going to strike with a Wonder Boy, uh, but I've had great striking matchups with Diego Lima, with Randy Brown with uh, 
a, a bunch of other guys freaking but i'm like you know let these people think what they want to think and if sean goes in there underestimating me he's gonna pay for it and that's what happened so yeah it was the perfect time perfect perfect finish for me uh at a perfect time in my career you mentioned you were away for five weeks you went to dubai first to train with uh, habib and his team um, which i guess by extension is now your team and uh <laughs> then you went to uh, abu dhabi tell me what it was like setting foot in your house when you returned from the airport, because I, I imagine that that feels extra good, especially coming home with the win. Yeah, honestly, it was amazing. Just to put your head on a real pillow, not a hotel pillow uh, the whole time. And I was sitting there like, even after the fight, we stayed one extra day over there. And I had so many people, oh, stay another week, stay here. Let's, let's, I'll introduce you to this guy, that guy. Uh, but after a fight, you just want to be with your family. My, I had my, my parents, my brothers, my siblings, all of them like, I just want to be with them. And I'm not a guy that likes to party or anything. So like my party is eating food. My mom's cooking, uh, waiting for that. She, I had to still had to give her a couple days because she said she had so much anxiety. She gets anxiety all the time. Whenever I have a fight, she never watches them, but she just gets so stressed out when it's fighting. So I was like, all right, I'll give you a couple days of rest, but then you're going straight to the kitchen girl. You know what helps with anxiety? Cooking. <laughs> that's a good point it takes your mind off of things when i'm when i you know at the end of the day when i've like wound up or whatever i just go clear i do dishes it's like the mundane <laughs> is very good at uh at helping take stress off your shoulders it's funny because when it's like when i when i get to fight uh mode and it's like maybe like three or four weeks out i love like you said i love to do dishes i i, I like just start randomly cleaning stuff uh but now yeah it makes sense now it's anxiety but i'm like man i don't i wonder why i get so like cleanly when it's uh, around fight time. Is this the most confident you've ever been going into a fight, knowing the, the kind of uh, rigorous workouts that you went through with Habib and his team, him, him being in the main event, getting to do a camp alongside a now current champion? Did you feel more at ease going into fight week this week, or was it just the same kind of nerves, you know, nothing much different? Yeah, it was definitely different. I feel like what I put myself through this camp was – it was a title fight camp. It was one of those. I had so much to prove this one. I had a, a huge chip on my shoulder with so many people doubting me. I was still the underdog, even though I've been on a long streak. I was higher ranked. I felt like so many people were expecting me to lose. And when I put myself through this camp, it was one of the hardest camps that I ever did. Training side by side with Habib, who I think is the GOAT, the greatest fighter I ever do it, and who I think is a pound for pound best right now in Islam. And, you know, I've I've had I've had terrible nights. I mean, I terrible days with those guys where I got tapped. I've been I was getting tapped out. I was getting taken down. I was getting punched in the face, beat up all the time, uh, and it just made me want to work that much harder because you know I was on an eight fight winning streak. I was winning. I'm ranked number five in the world. I didn't need to go out and seek new guys or new things. I didn't need to get uncomfortable. Uh, being away from my family for five weeks, being in a different time zone where I can't talk to any of them or see any of them. Uh, so I put myself in those spots because I knew how important this fight was. And the way they all just took me in and respected me and taught me so much. And it was no egos or anything, or they try to embarrass me or anything like that. It was, it was amazing. And it was a, another level. And yeah, get into fight week. I'm like, what is he going to do to me that wasn't already done to me these last five weeks? There's nothing. Uh, Habib literally walking around heavier than uh, like 200 pounds right now. So like everybody was saying, oh, Sean Brady's so strong. Have you ever felt 200 pounds Habib? He's the strongest guy I ever felt with. And I used to train with Lewis Taylor, who was a 185-pound champion. So uh, I knew that there was really nothing, no bad positions he was going to put me in. 
there is no way I was going to go in there and like get drowned out. Like a lot of these guys do when they fight him, that he takes him to deep waters and drowns him. I was like, bro, I, I was in a cage with Habib for 20 minutes getting mounted by him. I posted it yesterday and my coach like recorded a video and he's like mounting me. And my coach yells out like, uh, this is like watching your baby drown and you don't even know how to swim. And, uh, that's what it felt like going with these guys. And a lot of these guys on that team, a lot of people don't even know their names, uh, but they're on the way up and they're beating me up. And it's like, I could have sat there and like, you know, what? I'm going to fly home tomorrow. Cause this is not going to help me for fight week. Uh, me getting beat up is what is that going to do for me or anything like that? But I'm, I'm a different type of guy and I want to learn from these things. I want to be like from week one to week five, I got better. And week six was fight week. And I was the best version of myself. I don't want to ask you what's next because, of course, you just got home. But if I were to ask you to rank these five choices by what you would want the most to what you would want the least, let me know what your list is. So we've got the winner, of course, of Usman and Edwards. We've got Hamzat Shemaev. We've got Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, Gilbert Burns. That, that's your five choices. Uh, or, you know, we'll throw in a six. How about the loser of that, of that fight? Although I'm sure that that's probably, you're probably looking up rather than down. But the loser of Usman versus... Uh, uh, Edwards as well as it. Let's let's add that to the mix. So six six selections. Um, well, the the winner of that fight, I don't I want I don't want to wait for a fight, especially if they're gonna fight in March. I don't want to be a guy that waits. So I, I would I'll put that more probably like third third position. Uh, first position I would put Hamza or Kobe in a number one contender fight. I think that me and Hamzat would probably make the most sense for a number one contender fight because if I fight Kobe, I beat Kobe, they're still, Hamzat's still going to be out there and they're still going to be saying that he deserves a title fight because he's undefeated, he's this crazy monster, blah, blah, blah. So I think that me against him for the number one contender fight on the same card as Usman and Leon makes the most sense and that's the one I would want the most. Uh, I mean, but I mean, I've always wanted to fight Kobe. I hate Kobe. Like, I'll do that one for free, so that could be my second choice. Third choice would be the uh, the winner of Leon and Usman if I had to wait. Uh, the fourth, what was the fourth choice? Masvidal. I think Masvidal. Masvidal. Fourth, <laughs> I'll do Masvidal as the fourth choice because money fight, why not? And then Gilbert Burns, no disrespect to him, but that's still fighting downwards right now. And like, still gonna if I fight him, I'll still have to beat somebody else to get a title fight. So that's how I would rank that top five. I mean, you might be able to put McGregor in the mix. You guys are sparring on uh, on social media, it seems, and it looks like he's walking around a little heavier than 155 these days. Although apparently he will need six months of uh, USADA testing before he's able to fight again. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm like, I, I'd like to, I would like to think that he would want that fight, but he would not want that fight. When I mean, you're looking at guys, when I look at guys like him and Masvidal, I don't see them wanting to take a tough fight uh, unless it's you see Masvidal asking for a title fight. Uh, I know him and Gilbert Burns were bickering back and forth, but I knew he was going to take the Gilbert Burns fight because it's a tough fight for him, and he's really not going to gain anything from it because he'll probably lose. And then if he loses four in a row, then his superstardom is really gone. So, like, for him, he needs a fight that he could definitely win, and that's why I feel like he's trying to wait to see what happens with McGregor. And if you're McGregor, you're like, why am I going to fight this tough guy that I'm probably going to lose to? His name's not big enough, so let me wait for a match at all. Uh, so I could see them two just wanting to fight each other, honestly. Well, if you're looking for a fight, you definitely want to win. The welterweight top 15 is probably not the best place to look for that. <laughs> yeah, unless you're uh, fighting a guy like Magnus. Sucks. You, you don't like Magnus? 
No, he was just a guy that talked trash all the time, and I would say that I'm I'm shying away from things like little 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 stupid stuff. And he he was training with Sean Brady and telling everybody that I was going to get knocked out by Sean Brady. So I'm like, all right, how does it feel? Okay, so prediction for this week. Uh, Neil Magny's fighting this weekend, isn't he? I was going to ask you for a prediction in his fight, but I can't remember who he's fighting. Is, no, no, he's not. That's next week. Next week, actually. Neil Magny, I believe, is fighting next week. So I made a mistake there. That's my, my Who's he fighting? I can look that up right now if you'd like. Um, I don't know. I know I requested an interview with him uh, for an upcoming card. So let's, uh, let's pull up the old topology and see. I think he's, uh, he's got something next weekend, if I'm not mistaken, against Daniel Rodriguez. D-Rod. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So what's your prediction? What's D-Rod versus Magny? Let's get the prediction from, uh, from Bully. <laughs> uh, Bully's I got in that one. I got, I got D-Rod in that one. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying that he probably lost uh, to Lee Jingling, but I'm like, you got to look at all the stuff that went into that fight. It was a one-day notice, switch of opponent uh, fight, and he was already fighting at a catchweight, so it was kind of his fight was already short notice. So I think that he's coming in there with a lot to prove this time. He's a southpaw. He's a difficult guy to take down. So I think he's going to go out there and probably knock Magny out. Well, we're looking forward to that one. And, of course, looking forward to whatever is next for you. Uh, always appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. And uh, best of luck on whatever comes next. I have a feeling it's going to be something big. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. It's his fourth straight, fifth straight main event. Fifth straight main event? Fifth. Fifth straight main event. But uh, the last three have been fight of the night. And you're looking to do four in a row, connect four, for the fight of the night, this time around against Arnold Allen. Uh, are you enjoying these main events? It seems like you've got five-round cardio, um, more so than a lot of others in your division, so it seems to be benefiting you. Yeah, it's funny, man. Uh, Three-round fights seem like a half a fight now to me. <laughs> well, like they say sometimes, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and that's the way you've been getting booked. And I honestly think that you're staying right there in the title mix just by staying busy. A lot of the fighters in your division seem to want to just do fight, one fight a year, hope that a title fight's going to come to them. You're not about that life. Oh, I agree, man. I'm out here trying to change my life, and uh, every fight's an opportunity to do that, and just chasing the life on the other side of a win, and we've got another opportunity ahead of us on Saturday night. Arnold Allen is that opportunity. He's undefeated thus far in the UFC, but his strength of schedule hasn't been quite what yours is. What are you expecting from Arnold in this uh, main event? It's just another hungry, tough up-and-comer, um, stating his claim for the title nothing i'm not you know used to and uh not that it makes it any easier but um uh, you know we know what we're um we know what we're getting ourselves involved in it's like you said our fifth main event now and uh, just gotta go out and get the job done that last fight left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths uh, of course especially yours with the uh, the decision split decision going the way of josh emmett very close fight but when you look at the scorecards you have a round four scorecard for your opponent you know, I, I've taken a, a judging course before. I can't wrap my head around that one, maybe as the vantage point of that particular judge, but how hard is it to get that bad taste out of your mouth? How long does it take for you to get over something like that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it sucks, man. You know, you get half your money when you show up, the other half when you win, and it's felt like when you, you felt like you won the fight, but you lost the decision. It's, it's confusing. It sucks. Um, you know, that fourth round was was kind of what put the nail in the coffin on us. But at the same time, it's like, what are we scoring? Control time, we're scoring significant strikes, damage. Um, I outstruck him. Uh, he had more damage done to him. Even in that first round, I opened up the eye. Um, and it, otherwise, it was a close round. You know, So if they're scoring damage, it's like it's just the inconsistency of the refs. Uh, the, not the refs, the, the judges. The judges' uh, inconsistency is just what drives me the craziest. But... 
um, now it's like you're just sitting on the show side of money and waiting for the next opportunity. And you got these other guys that you're talking about sitting in the back end trying to, um, you know, wait out the division for a title fight, let everybody kind of just, um, you know, take each other out of the picture. It just so rarely works, right? Like, how often do you see... Tyron Woodley, I think, is really the only exception where I can think of where somebody waited around for a title shot and actually won. It just doesn't seem to happen that often in MMA, and I think you've got the right idea as somebody who's always willing to step up to the plate. And yourself as a fight promoter, I'm sure you understand what the promotion's looking for. Yeah, and in life, you know, you get rewarded for, you know, going out and earning your next opportunities. It's, it's tough, man. I feel like every day... Um, I just put in the work. It's like, why else are we training this hard every day, put in the work, unless we're going to go and, and compete and, and try to be the best in the world? I heard a crazy story in an interview that you did with somebody in Las Vegas whose uh, name I can't recall, but uh, I do want to give them credit. But uh, Tyson Charter, your, your coach, got into it from sitting next to Dana White on a plane, like randomly in coach. And, and Dana just started talking to him about the UFC. Tyson had a wrestling background, and that's how he got into MMA, just coincidentally, what, like 15 years ago, something like that? Yeah, we all got some crazy-ass stories how we got involved in this. Um, you know, not from just putting on ESPN, I can tell you that. But, uh, but yeah, Rob delivered pizzas, Tyson sitting next to Dana. Uh, just, just crazy, man. Uh, but, yeah, that's a true story. That's a true story. And shout out to Dana for getting them tickets and just, you know, you, you do hear as many bad stories you hear about Danny. Here's some pretty cool ones, too. And, of course, the story of you wrestling your dad on the front lawn of your yard in order for him to allow you to start fighting. Well, that wasn't my front yard. That was when we were, I was working for him doing irrigation and we were at a customer's house. Oh, so someone else's front yard. My mistake. Yeah. Better yeah. story. And they came outside and they were <laughs> like, uh, you know, is everything all right? It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Get back inside. <laughs> Just and just wrestling my old man here out on some guy's yard. Yeah, yeah, just taking him out. It was awesome. <laughs> Did your dad share that story with people? Oh, yeah, all the time. And uh, just because he says he didn't get submitted. But, I mean, I don't think he knew what ground and pound was, and I was taking it easy on him. So I could have got the finish, but um, I took it easy on him. I have a feeling he's not looking for a rematch. <laughs> yeah, if he did, it's only gotten worse since then, so. He's probably out there looking for fights on the golf course, not uh, not with his son. Man, me too. I'm trying to get out on that golf course after this fight. I might have to go to Arizona, though. It's not really golf course weather back in New England. But I didn't get much golf in this year since I had the Emmett fight. And you got the, uh, the this Arnold Allen fight coming up. But at the end of the day, um, I, it's, I'm not sitting around playing freaking golf. You can see, like I said, I'm trying to stay busy. It's my third fight this year. I'm excited to be busy after that Max fight. That was a one fight in a year. You know, it was just slow. I'm looking to stay busy. I'm not getting any younger. And uh, I'm excited to, to have this schedule in front of me. Now, I can't speak to this, but I've heard that golf on the Oculus is pretty realistic as, like, the next best thing. You know, I could see that because I saw Tyson in, actually, for the Giga camp around here in Vegas, we had Oculus. And, man, he was, like, breaking a sweat doing the boxing. He said it was very realistic. That Oculus is the real deal i could i could see that being the case well they have that thrill of the fight i'm guessing that's what you're talking about uh is that what it is that's it's the boxing, boxing one yeah I just saw him, yeah i just saw him swinging huffing and puffing getting worked like i don't, I don't even know who won that fight probably the other guy in the, in the oculus because he was he was like huffing and puffing breathing heavy not that it takes much to get tyson to do that but well, there's a video of these dudes that like their their workout their channel's like a workout channel. They're these like big buff dudes, and they got the Oculus and did thrill of the fight, and they're gassed. 
Well, I mean, that's the same thing in a normal street fight too, right? These big power lifters. I mean, muscles don't really win fights all the time, you know, contrary to what, uh, you know, some people might think. And the muscles are more like fight prevention. Like if you've got big muscles, it, people won't want to get into fights. Yeah. But if they do, exactly. maybe they might have the better unless, the advantage over you. Yeah, unless you're Paulo Costa, right? That, that guy's just shredded up and, and throws down. But aside from him, and, and Yoel Romero, I'll give, you know, aside from those guys, you know, I, I'd say certain amount of muscle is good, but yeah, technique is better. Well, you need the secret juice. If you have the secret juice, you can get into fights with people. Yeah, I got it right here. And this ain't uh, no Loyota Machida special juice. This is that uh, Costa. It's not yellow enough to be the, uh, the Machida special <laughs> juice. I'm glad you got my reference there. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, if you if you had a pretty hydrated day, it could be the Machida the special juice in, at that particular color. But I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, still Tuesday. I got a smile on my face. Maybe Thursday. You know, it would be looking a lot more yellow by Thursday. That's for sure. Right now, pretty hydrated. Well, that's good to hear. So, I mean, the weight cut, you've kind of got down to an exact science. You've never really missed weight or seem to even really struggle with it, at least uh, that we've seen. Yeah, it's never, it's never, uh, you know, enjoyable. And that last couple always sucks no matter what you do. But, I mean, I can only get so low to be within striking distance. And I'm usually, it doesn't take much for me to get there. So, at this point, yeah, we're pretty dialed in. And, and one thing that I give my team credit for is we, we take – uh, detailed notes of every single one we do and just know where we stand and this one's right in line with the last and uh, and if not better so yeah we just we're sitting fine aside from the short notice of this fight coming on coming to fruition and this is the time of year you like to fight the most if you're going to fight at the end of the year because you don't want to mess up thanksgiving and christmas yeah and i've already done that the last like three years so i'm pretty i'm really actually grateful and excited to enjoy thanksgiving and and christmas but go figure. I, I say that I'll probably jinx myself with some kind of short notice opportunity on the back end and be busy again. Who knows? Hey, just looking at your schedule, it doesn't look like you've had those kind of fights. I don't know if Zabit was after Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving. It's usually I've been January for the longest time. I want to say I forget the Zabit one. I, if my memory's correct, I'd say November. November, right? Yeah. So I thought it was in November, but then I fought. Uh, I was scheduled to fight Stevens in March, and then that got pushed back to April, which got pushed back to May. But I was already in camp that whole time, so I was I was eating healthy for a while on that one. And my pandemic started in November of that year when I faced a beat. You know, I was already in that mentality of just just ready to go. And then uh, when the pandemic hit and they pushed that fight back, I just stayed in camp longer and longer. And then I had the Ega one right behind that. And then um, I want to say we had the, the maximum show FS. So like I, I really improved a lot through the pandemic. Um, it was a chance for me to cut out all distractions, and I, I think you're seeing a lot of that hard work uh, paying off now with with these main events. And Rob was always December historically because he was like eight and one in December. I think he lost his last one in December, but he's like was before that like eight and one or something in the month of December. Crazy, yeah, poor kid. Now he's he's grateful to enjoy Thanksgiving as well. And, uh, and also Christmas, good for him, shout out to him. And also, he's going to be a dad in December. So really excited for him and, uh, and happy he gets to enjoy himself this, ho- this holiday season. So he's got nothing booked or has he got something coming? I-, I never know with these fight announcements. There's so many of them. I know it. I know. No, he's got nothing booked. He's going to be, uh, I'm assuming, hopefully enjoying uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know. But uh, like I said, he's, he's, his baby's due in December, so... 
I'm just excited for him and, and his downtime because uh, I just know what he's in store for when he gets back. He's always ready to go, and uh, I'm excited for the comeback. But first, you know, hopefully enjoy the holiday season, a little downtime. And final question for you. It looks like your division is going to be on hold for a little bit because all signs are pointing to Volkanovski moving up to 155 to take on Islam Makhachev, likely in February in Australia. I'm curious what you think of that matchup, and I'm thinking the, the division being on hold is probably a benefit to you because then maybe you end up getting booked with like a Yair Rodriguez or something along those lines. You can continue to move your way up. Yeah, one thing I know is that you never really know <laughs> how shit's going to play out. So uh, I just know a win always puts me one step closer, and I have an opportunity to you know come away with a win against a top prospect. Uh, I know in the UFC, like you said, number six in the world, Arnold Allen, this Saturday. So... Uh, a win only puts me one step closer, and then on the back end of that, we'll see how it all plays out. And the other part of the question, how does Volkanovski do against Islam? I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him, man. It's, uh, I'm excited to go out and see him test himself. You know, he's, like he's already proven himself in this division, and you know, credit to him for going and, and find, finding a, uh, you know, the next toughest challenge ahead of him right now, which happens to be Islam, and a chance to do what not many people have done and become uh, double champ. So I'm rooting for him, man. And, and uh, I think, you know, pound for pound, number one fight in the world can get it done on any given day against anybody. So it's not really, not really an Islam Makhachev though, of the featherweight. I mean, Mozart Evloyev is probably the closest thing, but we, you guys don't really get tested in that kind of way with a guy that's so uh, prolific with grappling. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely got a tough challenge ahead of him. But then again, I mean, you don't just fall in the pound for pound number one spot. You know, you earn that. And so uh, and then let alone the confidence that's got to come with something like that. You know, it's it's uh, I'm sure if there was a chance for him to go out and get the job done, it'd be under those circumstances, knowing he's the pound for pound number one fighter in the world and a chance to become double champ. It's like you can't really get bigger than that. So uh, I'm sure his motivation is at all time high. And it's going to be a great one for the fans. And, and shout out to the new champ, Islam, going out and, and already, you know, trying to crack that pound for pound number one list in his first title defense. So what an exciting fight that's going to be. Well, I appreciate the segue because speaking of good for the fans, Calvin Cater never disappoints in the main event. It's this weekend, Let's yourself go. taking on Arnold Allen in the main event. Always appreciate your time, sir. Likewise, yeah, I appreciate you. Coming off of his first round one win in the UFC and now his first main event in the UFC. He's a part-time Canadian, so we here will give him his due. He's Arnold Allen taking on Calvin Cater. And I call you a part-time Canadian because you often train uh, over at TriStar in Montreal. What's your favorite thing about living in Canada when you do? Uh, there's some good food there. There's some good food in Quebec. I do like it. <laughs> What's your go-to when you're in Quebec that you, you can't get in, uh, in the UK? Yeah, uh, I like the orange julep. You know, I do, I do like that. And the poutine. It's, uh, it's pretty good. See, Helwani's indoctrinating you into the orange julep life. I know that's his go-to. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much it. But uh, it's, uh, it's good. Yeah, I like it. It's a great team out there. And uh, you train, of course, under, under the great Faraz Zahabi. Uh, and alongside the likes of, you know, Eamon Zahabi, who uh, has been really coming into his own lately. Um, but this camp you did uh, primarily in the, in the UK or entirely in the UK? Yeah, yeah. I've been back in the UK for a while now. I'm still working closely with Fraz. Um, he should be here shortly, actually. Yeah, I was going to ask. That was my next question. He's going to be in your corner for that, this particular fight? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's, unless we fall out one day. Hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully we never fall out and he's always in the corner. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Now, 
for a five-round main event, this is, of course, new to you in the UFC. What changed in your training to prepare for five rounds versus the uh, normal three that you're already acclimated with? Um, not a whole lot, really. I just kind of I pushed a harder pace for five rounds in the training. Uh, I ran a little bit further, and uh, the conditioning got a little bit longer. But, yeah, nothing, nothing really changed. We always train five rounds anyway, so always preparing for five rounds. Yeah, there's nothing to suggest that your cardio is not going to hold up for five rounds from what we've seen at the end of three rounds. Usually, it looks like you're able to go two more uh, at the end of those fights. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's the plan. Before we got on, I mentioned you're at uh, New York, New York. That the roller coaster's out your window, but you're you're not going. You told me you're not a fan. No, I'm scared of it, man. I'm scared. I'm too scared of the rides. I always find it weird that I mean, listen, we all have fears, but I mean, you get in there, you know, with other athletes and compete in combat, but like the roller coaster, you know, I was mm. talking to Joe Valtellini. I don't know if you know Bazooka Joe, and he's like, yeah, he's yeah, like claustrophobic. I'm thinking you're claustrophobic, but you're like willing to get into a ring at like a championship <laughs> level and kickbox with like Nikki Holskin. It's just, it's, it boggles my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. But, uh... Yeah, I don't like loads of little things. I, I get a little bit claustrophobic as well. But yeah, um, happily fight a man before uh, going on the ride. What are some other things that, that... Do you have any irrational fears? Anything that rattles you that, you know, the, the normal, ordinary non-fighter would uh, find to be uh, interesting? Yeah, I don't like um, like deep water. Like being in the ocean, like deep water kind of freaks me out. It's weird because I live by the sea and I've always swam in the sea. But uh, as soon as I can't touch the floor, I feel like something's going to eat me. <laughs> yeah, my, wife has, my wife has the exact same fear. She's always worried about sharks really? and like, things like that. It's, it's odd. Yeah. I watch too many videos like Shark Week. <laughs> Apparently, they don't attack people very often in general. Like you're, you're more likely to have like a vending machine fall on you. That's, that's what they say. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. Well, I will say we do encounter vending machines more often than we encounter sharks uh, in the day-to-day life. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> Tell me about Calvin Cater. What, what do you think of his game? He's been very, very busy. Uh, this is his fifth straight main event, always in title contention. What do you think of this opponent? Do you think he's the toughest one you've been scheduled to face thus far in the UFC? Yeah, definitely. Uh, 100%. That's why I love the challenge because he's, uh, he's uh, a scary opponent. You know, he's... Um, He's a veteran. He's got some wins over some some really good guys. He's elite level. He's beat a lot of elite level guys, and uh, a win here sort of catapults me into that into that elite picture as well with those those big boys. So that's where I want to be. I noticed when you fought regionally, you fought like nine times in two and a half years, and then since getting to the UFC, it's been like five, six years, and you fought I think nine times as well. So has that been by design? Yeah. Are you trying to go slowly in the UFC, or is it just about getting the right fights? Um, no, just injuries and things happening, bad luck and whatnot. But um, it's kind of been a blessing in disguise, really, because uh, I think when I signed to the UFC, maybe I wasn't ready for that caliber of, you know, that level. Uh, having to take time and sort of make improvements, mainly out of TriStar. I spent most of that time out of TriStar making improvements there. I was training like a, you know, I train all year round, all year long, um, making improvements and getting better, trying to be a step ahead, you know. It seems to be working out. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're just entering your prime now. You've fought some really great fighters in the UFC, but like you said, it's like slow and steady sometimes does win the race. You've been able to, yeah. uh, you know, not take that much damage over the course of your career, and that's going to make you the fresher fighter against basically anybody who you face going forward, uh, given the, the caliber of fighter in the featherweight division. Yeah, that's something I see when I look at the, the top five. You know, they've all been in wars. They've all, uh, you know, taken chunks out of each other. So I'm coming in sort of sneaking up behind all fresh. Now, you've been waiting for that elusive title shot. Um, like I mentioned before, you're undefeated thus far in the UFC. It looks like Alexander Volkanovsky is moving up to 155 pounds, but there are a lot of people that are right on the cusp of a title shot. You look at Josh Emmett, Yair Rodriguez, of course, the winner of your fight this weekend. Do you think that it's actually probably a good thing that the division's going to have a little bit more time to work itself out? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, there was no clear contenders for a while because you know, Volkanovsky had, had beaten all the guys and then Max Holloway had beaten all those guys and then he lost decisively to Matt uh, to Volk. So it's a, kind of a tricky picture at the minute until someone stands out. So I respect his decision as well to go up and fight uh, for the lightweight title. That's that's pretty cool. How often do you watch UFC fights? Are you do you watch it every weekend or are you just you know here and there? Uh, here and there, to be honest. I uh, you know if I'm in camp, I don't really watch too much fighting. It's a, I live it when I'm in camp. I uh, you know I train every day. I go sparring and I watch other things to sort of switch off. So do you typically watch whatever's going on in your division? Like, have you seen all of Volkanovski's fights? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I've seen them all. Yeah, yeah. How do you think he stacks up against Islam Makhachev? I think he'll do well. Um, it's a it's a tricky opponent for Makhachev. He's, you know, he's, he's short, stocky, you know. He's, it'll be hard to take down. He moves very well. Uh, he's very good at getting up off his back and he's very difficult as we seem to submit so yeah but um, I wonder how uh, Makachev would do it. I think he would just try and pressure him pressure him pressure him Is there anybody when you look up and down your division forget about who's champion that you've, you've said you know I, I've always wanted to face that guy is there anybody in the rankings that stands out to you? Um, no not massively really like they're all you know I've always just wanted to sort of fight the best of the best and Earn my spot at the top, and yeah, that's it. The fight with Dan Hooker. What was your key there to get the, to get a first round win like that against Dan Hooker? Do you think that the weight cut affected him, or do you think it was just a great night for you? Yeah, I think it was just a good night for me. Um, I've always known I got power in my hands, but I haven't really had the opponents to sort of to show it the styles. You know, I've always sort of fought guys been trying to like smother and clinch and wrestle. So uh, you know, someone that wants to stand there and strike for me. It'll allow me to sort of throw my hands and, and not worry about the, the takedown so much. So you're saying you probably like this weekend's matchup then as a result, because Calvin seems more than willing to exchange. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think these fights suit me well. All right, well, it's a pleasure getting to meet you, Arnold. Uh, best of luck with everything. Hopefully our paths cross one day, uh, maybe maybe even in Canada. I'll, I'll have to pop by TriStar yeah. sometimes and see what's going on over there. I've cool. never been. Oh, really? Come on. That'd be cool, man. That'd be cool. Absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure uh, chatting with you, and best luck on Saturday's main event, UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Allen, and uh, look forward to watching you do your thing. Thanks a lot, man. See ya. He is the pride of Enumclaw, Washington. He is Chase Hooper. Thank you for joining me, Chase. Now, tell me if you agree with me on this or not. Your last fight against Felipe Kolarish, it finally looked like you were... 
I guess, had the, the, the body and posture of a UFC fighter and the confidence of a UFC fighter. Before that, it felt like these guys were trying to big brother you. But you and Felipe Colares, it seemed like that was kind of the tipping point where now it's like Chase Hooper is just a regular UFC featherweight. Yeah, and that's, that's uh, I've been doing a lot of sports psychology stuff, um, you know, from the last fight before the Colares one to, uh, to the Colares fight. And I feel like that made a huge difference. Um, and that's, that's such a big thing is like being able to walk into the fight confident. Um, you know, if you're walking in there not knowing what's going to happen or, or just being nervous, obviously you don't know what's going to happen, but you have to, you know, tell yourself crazy things and like, you know, believe it of like, believe that you are on the same level as these guys and you're just going to walk through them. Um, because I, like, I always know at the end of the day that I have like the heart to keep going if, if it does get like, rougher if things don't go as planned but uh yeah just trying to walk in there with that mentality of like i'm not any different from these guys um i try to stop thinking of myself as like a younger guy anyways um because that's i don't know i feel like that's just an excuse is like oh well these guys are older they're more in their prime so it's like i've just tried to stop thinking about that like uh, these guys i'm out to fight them regardless the age doesn't matter um you know, the experience gaps getting closed. Um, and yeah, I just, I just feel more adjusted to kind of the routine of, of the UFC, I guess. And like what a fight week entails and, and just kind of that, the level of the pressure has been kind of brought down and like normalized a little more. Um, so I, I feel like I'm able to deal with it a lot better. I have a lot better, um, you know, just mentality going into fight week and going into the fights and uh, just trying to keep that uh, going forward here, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at the age of your career and the length of your career. You're, you're, I mean, not a lot of people get to have five fights in the UFC, period, let alone having five yeah. under your belt by the time you're 23. Definitely. That's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's kind of been my thing, too, is, is um, trying to use stuff like that to you know, boost my confidence is like, that's why I should be confident because I've already done all these things and my body's only getting more, uh, developed and all that. And, and we're only fine tuning the weight cuts more and more each time. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been good. The confidence has been building and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Saturday for sure. And do you see a sports psychologist fairly regularly still, or was that just leading up to the last fight? No, honestly, I just, um, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with like that type of stuff. So I just did like more audio, like audio books, um, and, and all that. And, uh, I don't know. It helped. Um, just, uh, I like doing stuff like that where I could just listen to it on my way to the gym and like that type of stuff. Just little mentality changes have, have definitely made a huge difference. Um, yeah, it's been great. What do you think is the biggest change? Like what, what was the thing that really clicked with you that made you a little bit more confident going into your last fight? Um, I don't know. It's kind of a been shifting to the, uh, you know, like he has to fight me, not the other way around. Not like, oh, I have to fight this dude on Saturday. It's like, well, he has to fight me. He knows, like, he knows it's going to be a tough fight. Like, obviously, they're just as anxious about fighting as you are. Um, and it's just kind of trusting my instincts a little more, like knowing that when the time comes, I'll be able to make that right call in the moment and not, um, you know, not to doubt yourself. Um, cause that's where you start hesitating. That's where you start having these slower reactions. 
And, uh, you know, the fight's just moving too fast for you to be uh, second-guessing yourself. What do you think of this opponent, Steve Garcia? Um, I, I heard you say in some interviews that his one UFC win doesn't really mean much to you because the guy he faced didn't really show any sort of grappling acumen, whereas that's kind of your bread and butter. Um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously a veteran. Um, I think he beat uh, Ricky Tercios back in the day. Um, you know, he's had a lot of fights. He's a vet. Um, he did a lot of his fights at 35, so I imagine he's not going to be, you know, crazy huge coming in. All those last couple were at 55, um, so I'm not too worried about that. But, yeah, I, I don't know. When I watch guys, um, you know, just dominate people that have zero grappling, it's hard to judge. Or it's hard to, like, base how good somebody is off of stuff like that. Um, so it's it's kind of a uh, – yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to give too much merit to that. Like, obviously their wrestling is going to be good enough to get it to the ground. But, again, if, if I'm in a fight and I'm losing in the grappling, like, I'm in for a bad night. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen here until I get towards the higher, um, the higher end of the division. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just having confidence in myself about that. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. Obviously, he's he's kind of like more brawler, I guess, on the feet. Um, you know, he'll throw some hard shots, and uh, you know, he's got some decent wrestling, good top control. So it's just trying to negate all those things, not get stuck on the bottom, and. Uh, you know, kind of outpointed, I guess, is, is more of the the worry on my end of things, or just getting clipped with a hard shot on the feet. Other than that, I, I feel pretty confident about the, the matchup, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Are you starting to have more fun being a UFC fighter and doing all of the different things that come along with it outside of the cage? Um, Yeah, it was cool. Uh, I went to my first international fight week. Um, I got to do stuff at the UFC X Fan Expo. Um, I got the sweet sweatshirt, got to hang out with the UFC strike guys. Um, yeah, that's kind of one of the first times because of like COVID and all that, that I've got to see the, um, I don't know, the cool parts of, of this besides just fighting and, and besides just being able to say that I do it for a living. Um, and that's kind of the thing is I just want to enjoy my time, uh, you know, with my career and, and not just be nervous or like worried about the next fight and, and be able to kind of, uh, you know, reap the benefits, so to speak, um, on, on that side of things. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been feeling pretty good. And I, I definitely feel more like a UFC fighter now, like coming into fight week, I, I didn't feel like crazy out of, out of the loop. Like I knew exactly what's going to happen, um, exactly when, and like, I know how the process goes at this point. And, uh, yeah, it feels good to be like more adjusted to that side of things. I saw that you and Booger Beard were doing stuff at Fan Expo. I was there at the time doing some content as well, and I I went went to look around for you guys. No disrespect to you, because I've met you many times, and I wanted to meet Booger Beard, and I finally got a chance to meet him uh, on the strip. I ran into him at random. I think like a day later or later that night. Yeah, that was uh, that was fun getting to hang out with him and uh, and film some stuff for Fight Pass. Definitely a good time. Uh, I could definitely uh, I could definitely see him being able to get to do more content uh, with Fight Pass. But uh, yeah, see what the future holds. See if he's coming back out or not. Well, I saw that he uh, had a boxing match recently. Did you give him any pointers going into that? Yeah, he was uh, he was like asking me some stuff. Um, obviously, it's it's so much easier to like tell people what to do than than to actually do it. But uh, yeah, I, I tried to give him what little striking advice I felt like I could just, you know, 
because he's way taller than the guy. And I was like, all right, well, just try to, you know, hit him with the straight shots. But uh, I think the cardio is the biggest issue. And, and the fact that he said he didn't train at all. <laughs> well, that, that part I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, you can only do, uh, you can only help so much with uh, advice if they're, if they're just winging it kind of. <laughs> He should at least get Oculus and do like Thrill of the Fight or something. I mean, he's got you got to do something going into a boxing match. Yeah, I think he said he was trying to run for his cardio, but uh, I don't know. I I feel like fighting is like being chased rather than just going for a jog. Um, like there's someone actively trying to chase you down, so you have to kind of push the pace a little more than if you're just you know on the treadmill or or running around on your own. So uh, it's hard to uh, emulate. And did you do most of your training camp uh, in Washington for, for this particular fight? Yeah, I did uh, almost all of my camp at home. Uh, I went out to Wonder Boys uh, at the beginning of the camp and then, like, what, three weeks out um, just to get kind of the different looks and all that, different sparring. Um, and, you know, maybe just brush up on some of this, the stuff that I've worked out there before. Um, but, yeah, I like to do a lot of my camp at home and uh, – all the traveling I've been doing is making me realize how much I hate traveling. Just the, uh, the act of it and like having to, you know, kind of figure out how to live somewhere that's not your house, especially when you're cutting weight kind of sucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, did a lot of my camp at home and, and, uh, you know, helping getting my other teammates ready for their fights and, uh, yeah, just, uh, been busy. What age did you get into martial arts? Like when I know Jeff Hoagland is your coach, but when did they figure out that you were kind of a natural and that you were going to be able to go places in the sport? Um, I started training when I was eight years old. Uh, started doing jiu-jitsu with my coach um, from day one all the way to now. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess more on a personal level, I, I didn't really think about being like a, being good at jiu-jitsu or being good at or good enough to transition to MMA until I, uh, I went to the Pan Ams for, uh, Jiu Jitsu, which is, you know, North South America, um, pretty big competition, uh, when I was what, 16, I think. And I, uh, I got first in my division and I got second in the open weight. So then after that, um, the confidence started to build a little bit. I was like, all right, I might be good enough to, uh, you know, pursue this. So, uh, yeah. And just kind of, you know, tournament by tournament, fight by fight, uh, it's kind of led me to here, so can't complain. And when you started doing striking, you weren't like you you were doing it before you were sixteen, I imagine. It just was not as much of a part of your game as jujitsu. Yeah, for sure. Um, not nearly as not nearly as much or as um, intensely focused um, on that as I was jujitsu. I started doing more of the MMA stuff at like fourteen or fifteen. Um, so yeah, I think we're coming up coming up on the 10 year mark probably which is uh you know those 10,000 hours or whatever to where you start seeing those results um so yeah hopefully uh we'll see some good uh good striking stuff here pretty quick I'm starting to I feel like understand it a little better um I've just kind of like tried to put more effort into it I guess into understanding the striking it beyond just like throwing punches and like thinking about uh you know angles and like setups that type of stuff like getting to the more complex level maybe like the blue or purple belt level striking if you will for a jiu-jitsu uh, reference there i like it well you're uh, facing steve garcia this weekend your own one against steve's so you got to really get your revenge on, on on the steve's of the world that's fair 
And uh, I'm at uh, I'm batting 500 on Steve's for missing weight. So hopefully, uh, hopefully Steve will will come through for me on this time. Well, I hope so too. Let's hope Steve Garcia. I mean, former bantamweight. Here's open. Uh, thanks for doing this, yeah. sir. <laughs> Look forward to speaking with you again soon. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Happy to be joined by Khalil Roundtree Jr., who's back in action this weekend against Dustin Jacoby. I've got a lot to ask you about because your post-fight press conference last time around was really, really heavy. We, we don't see that very often with a lot of fighters. You really poured your heart out. And one thing that really resonated with me is you would like to see losing fighters get interviewed a little bit more. Now, as someone who works in media, I'd love to know what the, the approach for that would be um, from someone on my end in order to, to reach out. And do you think that a lot of fighters are, are eager to speak after losing a fight? Um, I'm not sure if a lot of fighters are eager or not, but the reason why I said that is because I think that, you know, we put both, both fighters in, in every fight put in the same amount of time preparing, preparing, you know, everybody, we, we all do the same things. It's just, you know, only one of us really gets the result that we want. Right. So I think that there's personally i think that there's power in you know at least offering the other fighter to come in and express like hey you know obviously maybe you're not feeling the best but you know if you want to talk about you know maybe what you feel you know not necessarily went wrong but you know like what are you going through right now you know like things like that i feel like you know there's 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 power especially for the fans you know, if the fighter does choose, like, okay, afterward, I want to speak about what's going on. I think that the, the, there's, you know, there's power in that, man. You know, it's it's like instead of like, okay, you lose and then you don't really get to say your piece or, you know, get to say where you're at. I think, you know, I think it'd be something that that would be good. But it's it, like you said, it's also up to up to the fighter whether whether or not they want to. Yeah, you know, I got great advice, actually, from Brett Okamoto of ESPN. I was backstage uh, at an event with him, and we interviewed the losing fighters from the main and co-main event on the pay-per-views. And I said, man, I really don't like doing this. You know, sometimes I feel like it's uncomfortable. And Brett said, you know what? It gives them an opportunity to kind of decompress after a fight, to, to really unpack how they're feeling. And it's, it's important for the fighter to be able to do that. And it gave me a, really a new perspective on, on that particular subject. Mm, wow. Yeah, I... I um... I didn't get to see that, but I mean, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Like, yeah, I think that it would definitely give people the opportunity to decompress a bit. And there's also value in having the platform. I mean, obviously you get your fight bonus with a win, but you also do get the currency of attention and the ability to, to say what's on your mind. I know you've used your platform uh, as a certainly a vehicle for good and, and to inspire people who um, feel a little bit lost in their lives or, or don't really have a lot of drive to, to kind of pick themselves up and, and do something with their lives that can help change their perspective. So I can certainly see it from that vantage point as well. Yeah. And, and for me too, it's like the, the intention like as a whole is not really to like use my platform to like inspire, but I just wanted, I just want the people who are genuinely fans of me and who support me to, to like, to know who I am, what I'm about and like, you know, like what I go through or, you know, things like that. And, and hopefully, yeah, it does, it does inspire them. But the, the overall intention is to be able to give, you know, the real supporters and stuff like just, you know, the, the most of me that I can. And what do you do in, in terms of during fight camp or when you're not in fight camp to do that as well? I, and like I saw you were on a lot of different platforms after your last fight 
um, hot, I think it's Hot 97 in New York and yeah. a lot of different places. So are you, are you looking actively to, to have as much of a platform as you can during that time, especially when you're not really looking ahead to an opponent at that moment? Um, yeah, uh, with, with balance, you know, like I, I don't really, how do I say this? I'm, I'm not really looking to do like a bunch of different, you know, platforms, um, and, and speak on a bunch of different, you know, just like platforms and interviews and stuff. Um, it's mostly the ones where I feel like, okay, cool. I'd, I'd like to reach out to, you know, maybe this specific demographic and give them like a little piece of me. Um, so that, you know, so that they can understand, uh, cause I, I definitely don't really like to, to, to be swarmed too much with, you know, with, with a lot of like media stuff. Yeah, you, um, you, you strike me as kind of a solitary guy. Like, I mean, it, it seems like you really value, I, I guess, time to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of power in that. I think, you know, um, just, I like to reflect, I like to, you know, continue to grow um internally you know there's there's a lot of just i think as as people um there's a lot of healing <laughs> that needs that needs to happen you know what i mean just from we all have our own personal stuff it, you know f from childhood to current stuff to you know breakups to job stuff and covid you know i think that you know a lot of the a lot of the healing for me personally is is found you know in, in solitude. And what do you do? What do you find works best for you in solitude to help you decompress and take your mind off of things? Um, to be honest, like to me, for me, a lot of the times I'll just like, I'll put on music, I'll dig through like old vinyl records. Um, I'll pick up a new book and, you know, just read and try to gain new perspective on things. Um, I make music of my own. Um, you know, go for a drive, <laughs> just anything that's, you know, that, that seems, you know, pretty peaceful, you know what I mean? Like just not, not a lot of noise. You and I have a lot in common. I don't know if you can see behind me. It's, it's oh, yeah. all records. It's like, that's, yeah. that's what I do in my downtime. Yeah. Amazing. So I think, I think you kind of get it. There's nothing like there's, there's a, a nice feeling to, you know, popping on a vinyl record and you let it play. It's not like, oh, I'm going to skip this song. And, you know, you, you kind of really get to embrace, you know, what the artist put into, you know, to this record. And most of them come with books and lyric books. And I think that there's a lot of discovery in, in, in that alone, right? You get to like, really, you pop on the record, you read the lyrics and you're like, wow, this song actually means a little bit more than <laughs> if I were to just play it on Spotify, you know, it's like more of an experience. So, I guess, you know, it gives us a chance to kind of step into the mind and, and, and lives of others. That's, that's my appreciation for, you know, for listening to things on like vinyl and stuff like that. As a fellow collector, I believe there's a definitive answer to this. What is the best record store in Las Vegas? Ooh, you know, I, I, I can't say best, but the one that I go to the most is 11th Street downtown. Um, 11th Street Records. But I used to go to Zia Records a lot, but, you know, yeah. Zia's where I go to kill the jet lag. Like, it's open till 10 p.m. So when yeah, I it, land from the East Coast, I go there till 10 at night so I can adapt to the time. Yeah, Zia, Zia is the place where, like, if I'm with friends, we'll go there and we just kind of, we'll be like, oh, look at this, look at that. You know, we'll go look for stuff. But when I'm alone, I go to 11th Street Records downtown and just 
kind of search through there and find stuff that I would probably would have never found anywhere else. To me, it's Moondog. Have you been to Moondog before? I haven't been to Moondog, no. Moondog's the spot in Las Vegas. All right, I'll check it out. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate that. Now, one of the reasons you got into uh, mixed martial arts was, uh, of course, you, you mentioned that you were overweight, but also that people were kind of picking on you in high school. Now, after your last um, fight, Sean Strickland, the guy who you've trained with before, had some kind of negative things to say about you. Are guys like Sean Strickland one of the reasons why you got into mixed martial arts? Mm, no, I didn't necessarily. I don't think that the like being bullied is what got me into mixed martial arts or, you know, the feeling of being bullied and stuff like that. Um, but it is something that, um, you know, that kind of helped me deal with, with those things. You know, the, 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 the main thing was I needed to get in shape or, or at least get healthy. Otherwise, you know, I probably wouldn't even be alive today if I'm being honest. So, you know, the, the, the main thing was just to, to do something better for myself and, and that was, you know, that was the main purpose. And then I just, you know, I was able to deal and heal from, you know, some of the bullying traumas through, you know, what I learned in training mixed martial arts. So you've got a guy like another adult that's trying to bully you in the, in the public eye. Does that affect you in any way? It not really because it like, it only affects me if I let it and I choose not to let it. So, yeah. That's probably the best way to go about bullying, right? Like, I mean, just don't let it bother you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, living well is the best revenge, uh, as they say. I, I appreciate your time, sir. Uh, best of luck against Dustin Jacoby. Very, very tough opponent, but uh, you've certainly faced those along the way. And I uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. He's one of the newest signees to the PFL. He's Biagio Ali Walsh, and he's fighting in the lightweight division for his amateur fight. It's on the finale, the PFL Championships on November the 25th. Thank you for doing this, by the way, and I uh, really appreciate you. So what made you decide to, to go into mixed martial arts? I mean, I, I said your name off the top, and people don't recognize it. The Ali in Biagio Ali Walsh is because you're the grandson, of course, of the great Muhammad Ali. So why MMA and not boxing? Um, I just kind of, you know, got into MMA early high school. You know, um, I started watching the UFC when I was a freshman, and I just kind of, the idea that there was multiple arts that can play a part in a fight. So, um, yeah, I just kind of gravitated towards that. And ever since, uh, I just started watching a lot of the UFC and MMA in general. And you were a running back uh, in football and went to two uh, different universities. But you also trained at Extreme Couture. I know that Coach Nixick is like, comes from a football family. He's got a football mind. Mm -hmm. Does that help you in terms of your training, that he kind of speaks a language you're more accustomed to? A hundred percent. You know, uh, I always, uh, he, I look at Eric as like a big brother to me. You know, he's a mentor and I always pick his brain because he has a very similar backup too. You know, he played football and um, he played at the college level too and then kind of got into MMA right after that. So, and, and that's exactly what I did. So, you know, being able to talk to somebody that's kind of been through your same kind of shoes, you know, it helps a lot. And same with my other coach, you know, Dennis Davis, you know, he, football and then he got into MMA so yeah those those guys like I'm very grateful to have because um they're great mentors and they give me great advice yeah, absolutely and I imagine that the way that Eric coaches you is probably kind of a hybrid of, of how 
he came up in, in football circles as well as how he coaches his fighters in MMA. And basically anybody who's met Eric Nixick, he feels like a big brother to everybody. He's just a warm and, and funny guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, you know, it's very important to, uh, to have a very strong team. And uh, obviously football is a team sport. And, you know, you have great relationships when you have a team like that. So if somebody tries to bring to extreme couture, you know, you, he preaches how important it is to have a team and that people can't just be individuals. So, you know, coming from football, you know, I'm used to that, that kind of mindset. So um, I feel like I'm just in the right place. And how did you connect with the, the PFL? How did they express interest in signing you? Uh, it initially started when my brother was at a, a boxing event here in Las Vegas. They, um, someone had given him a business card and he relayed that to my dad. And my dad had reached out to them and they said that they wanted to talk about me and my MMA career. And then from there on, we kind of just hopped on a couple of Zoom calls, you know, um, talked about my goals and what I want to do. And um, they want to, you know, kind of help develop me a little bit. And um, yeah, they want to sign me as an amateur and have a showcase event, which is going to be the one on the 5th. Well, elaborate for me. What are your goals? What do you want to do uh, in the sport of mixed martial arts? You know, just like any other fighter, I, I want to create my own name and my own legacy. You know, I want to become the champion. I want to earn a million dollars on my own and know that I did that, you know, myself. And, um, yeah, you know, MMA uh, has given me a purpose, again, because when I was done playing football, I didn't feel like I had a purpose anymore. I didn't – I just was not in a good mind space. So, you know, MMA really uh, – took me and and fell into my lap and told me you know this is the way to live and and i've just been a lot more happier emotionally physically spiritually mentally because of it so yeah just like any other fighter you know i'm just looking to become a champion you know um most importantly though like i mentor and and preach smarts uh when i'm older you know i want to be that guy that that people look to and and they look at me and they think oh like i want to learn from him so yeah, like that's the guy that I want to be at the end of the day. Well, you you look at your grandfather and the amount of people that he's impacted um, through his fight career and and of course everything that he did from a political standpoint and standing mm-hmm. up for what he believes in. You know, he's obviously been a huge inspiration. So while those are big shoes to fill, it's also shoes that you grew up around and kind of understand what comes with the territory. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, he he's just been a, an inspiration to me my whole life and. Yeah, it's it's weird because, you know, he's such a icon to me and, and such a role model, but he's also my grandfather. So there's this like gray area of confusion, you know, um, and it's always been like that. And I think it's going to always be like that. When did you realize that your grandfather was somebody that was, I guess, not an ordinary person that when you were maybe with him at some point in time, your first recollection of people maybe recognizing him or something that stood out to you where you're like, wow, my grandfather is somebody of note. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I always knew that he had some type of importance um, because, you know, we would go to movies uh, and everybody would just skip the line and try to take pictures with him. We'd walk restaurants and the whole restaurant stand up and start clapping. And it was just kind of crazy to see, all this whirlwind go on when whenever you walk into a room you know uh when i was a little kid we went to the uh orange bowl in florida i think it was 
Wake Forest versus Louisville. And um, the whole crowd was chanting Ali. And I don't know. It was, it was just a, a surreal moment. I'm like, okay, you know, my grandfather's got to have some type of importance. Like, I know he's made a big impact, but I didn't really realize that until I got older and started to do um kind of just acknowledge a little bit more like oh wow like he did this and that so yeah like was most of your initial experience with him in i guess like a private places like whether it's your home or his home and then eventually you went out in public with him and you were like okay well you know this is he's yeah, obviously a big exactly, deal that's exactly what it was like you know uh most of the time we would just hang out at the house watch movies uh do magic tricks um but yeah when we went out it was um, like everybody kind of would go crazy and that's kind of when I was like, oh wow, like that's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> He's always known for being very eccentric and, uh, of course, mm -hmm. you know, kind of bombastic in, in media. But when you were with him as a kid, did, did you notice that he had kind of that personality? Um, did, did that kind of thing rub off on you when you were younger? Um, he, well, he had Parkinson's so, and it got worse over the years. So he wasn't as eccentric as he used to be you know, in person, but I always, you know, watched old videos of him and, and his trash talk and, and the charisma, the, the true confidence that he had. And yeah, it, it's just, um, he was just one of a kind and I don't think we'll ever see anybody like that again. Yeah. I, I don't think in our lifetime we will. Absolutely. And uh, your mother mm -hmm. has done a lot of, great work in terms of raising awareness for Parkinson's. Is mm -hmm. that something that you're hoping to help out with as well? I know she's been a big advocate of stem cell research, and I'm sure that being around her for your entire life, uh, you probably learned a lot about uh, all of the outreach that she's done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I've always been supportive of her and, and her um, uh, motivational speaking and, and, and awareness for Parkinson's. And she's always traveling the world and, and doing this and that with it, you know. So if I could help in any way, you know, if I, you know, get a platform and, and make my name bigger as a fighter, you know, maybe I could help out with that as well. You know, I, that at the end of the day, you know, I just want to make an impact on people's lives and, and be remembered in that way. You know, like I want to make somebody's day by just shaking their hand. And um, yeah, like that, that, that at the end of the day is what you take with you after you die. Now, in terms of your mixed martial arts career, when you go into the gym, there's grappling day, there's striking day. Um, what, what's your favorite day at the gym? I mean, what, what do you look forward to most when it comes to your training? Um, honestly, I, I'm, I've been like lately. I've been looking a lot more forward to gi jiu jitsu. Uh, I've really started to fall in love with gi jiu jitsu and just how technical it is. And I've I've really started to fall in love with that. You know, naturally I'm a striker, but like, I, again, I never had any amateur boxing fights or amateur kickboxing fights. I had none of that. You know, everything I did was kind of catered towards, you know, because there's a, a distance difference uh, boxing and, and striking for MMA. So everything that I did from the beginning was catered to MMA, you know, jiu-jitsu for MMA, kickboxing for MMA, wrestling for MMA. But, uh, yeah, lately I, I've really fallen in love with uh, gi jiu-jitsu. And, of course, Extreme Couture is such a talented team. Um, so much talent across all the weight classes. I don't know if you train with the pros because you, you are doing amateur fights right now, but is there anybody in particular who kicks your butt in the gym frequently? I, I Well, initially, when I first was starting out, I, I was training with the amateur team and, and whatnot, but 
I started to level up a little bit more. And now every practice I go to is a pro practice. Um, but yeah, um, one of my really good friends, we became really close now is, uh, Mads Burnell. Uh, he's in Bellator right now. And man, he just, he puts a pace on me that is very, very challenging. And, uh, some days he kicks my ass and most days, <laughs> but it, it's, it's good work like that, that I'm super grateful for. And, and to be able to work with guys like him at his level is, is, it's just a blessing, you know, and I take advantage of that. Yeah, Mads Brunel puts a pace on just about everybody. The guy's an extreme talent at Extreme Couture. Yeah, no pun intended. really, really good. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you do your thing. It's the uh, final event for the PFL in 2022, November the 25th. It's at uh, MSG. Is it MSG or Hulu Theater? Uh, Hulu Theater. Yeah, the Hulu I, Theater I at MSG. MSG yeah. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to seeing uh, your, your first PFL fight, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's easy to do a show like this when you have guests that are that good. Appreciate the time of all six of our guests today. Appreciate their time and appreciate your time. This is a pretty long podcast this week, so I appreciate you tuning in and uh, enjoying the ride with me. UFC 280 behind us. UFC 281 coming up in a couple of weeks. We have a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks. But uh, for now, if you have made it all the way through, I have one last tiny ask of you. And I ask it every week. So I'm sure you know what I'm going to say unless this is your first time listening. If you have the opportunity to go to wherever you get this podcast and uh, leave us a nice four-star, five-star review, whatever the highest amount of stars is, and a nice uh, written review, it would go a long way with us. So I I appreciate if you're able to do that. And uh, to those listening in Toronto or Ottawa on TSN Radio, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. You get a much longer show than the abridged version that you're listening to right now in your vehicle or otherwise. So thank you for tuning in. And until next week, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.